power on. Earth, 2018. The alliance between governments and tech giants has led to the rise of the surveillance society, distraction technology, the attention wars, and the erosion of your mind. But one show stands against this insidious system. Hosted by the podcast champion, the man of tomorrow, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He and his co-hosts form the intellectual resistance. It's time for Sovereign Tech. does it better but i know some of you wish someone could but until that time you've got me baby the golden stallion the man of tomorrow savzu the rated r radio star but i like who do they wish did it better like their husband or something i just somebody that was maybe more in line with how they think (laughs) you know (laughs) but they gotta come to me they gotta come to this freak to get all their tech news from the angle that they love you know and and that's that's how it is they have to get it from the right angle from you. The, the right angle? Maybe the left <laughs> No, no. <laughs> uh, anyway, of course, you are hearing the voice of the boss, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Hello. Ooh, We're hi. in my office That's doing right. the show today. Sovereign Tech co-host on point, because uh, I am not going to be alone this week. And uh, I don't know if I teased it last week that you were going to be on, but um, but you're here. So, hey, what the hell? We've got a lot of great stories to get into, a lot of stuff to talk about. And uh, oh, <laughs> if anybody knew what was going on in this, I do that all the time. But the, we're surrounded. Can I say this? We're surrounded by stuffed animals. Yeah, you here. can say that. All right. We're you surrounded by stuffed animals. And, and there's this very squishy fish that you're it's squeezing right fish. now. It's a puffer it's fish. It's like a kind of a cross between a pillow and a stuffed animal and um i'm giving it a big hug and it's giving me a hug right now got like these big eyes that big, just kind of yeah boom, puffy eyes out. tiny yeah. little fins spikes <laughs> it's the cutest the thing. shading yeah. yes it's so it's super cute and it it's really soft i love to hug a soft animal while we're doing the show you Absolutely. know it just like feels good you know when you're thinking about something you can kind of rub your hands over it yeah, right on. Yeah, absolutely. I am totally on board with that. Anyway, well, now that we got the puffer fish out, we're all set to go that's here. That's right. That's right. It's the benefits of cuddling. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so why don't we get into, you know, before we get into some, we got some great stories, some very, I think, some controversial stories that we're going to get into. In fact, it might get a little sexy in here uh, later, which uh, I know you, you often enjoy doing. Of course, uh, we do... 
Well, if you hadn't heard it, just recently last week we released uh, our latest relationship rhombus show on Patreon, um, which that was uh, that was a lot of fun. That's a good show. Yeah, yeah, we were also in my office doing that, and uh, yeah, that's you're gonna want to listen to that one. We did a review of some of these reality shows about marriage and relationships. Yeah. Don't miss that. No. It, you just It was very entertaining. I was on fire. Let's yeah, put it that it way. It was almost like a reality show in and of itself. <laughs> you know, should we call this that now? I mean, this used to be like kind of the Stephanie Murphy Studios. Should we call it the boss's office from now on? Yeah, I think we should. Yeah. The, yeah. All right. So we're in the boss's office. I like that. In fact, you have your own segment. This just came out uh, last week uh, as of when this episode gets released, um, which I guess this will be the first of September, I think, that this is getting released. But um, you have your own segment in the Sovereign Tech newsletter now. Uh, called the boss's office and your very first one was in the august uh, 2018 sovereign tech newsletter if you want to sign up for the newsletter go to zog.email that's zog.email um and i i mean this newsletter is such a it's such a fun thing for me to do i i love uh you know being able to put all this different content out and it's so great to have you on board with it now stephanie uh you know to where you have your own little segment and you kind of get to share well, what you're into, what you're looking at around the internet, you know, you get your own little segment to do so. And I, I just think that that's brilliant. So, oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, zog.email if you want to sign up for the Sovereign Tech newsletter and get all that goodness. So, all right, I want to open up, like I said, with a couple of little tech stories, and then uh, then we'll get into, well, maybe some sexy stuff and some other things. Who knows where this will go? Because you got we got two whole hours with you right between your ears, everybody. And, uh, well, first off, this is something actually, you know, it's funny, Stephanie, I think you were on the show when I first uh, talked about this, when I, when it was first announced that they were going to do it, but Microsoft, not that that is the bearer of great tidings of any kind when you start a sentence off with that word, but Microsoft is, um, we talked about it, that they announced they were going to be implementing, uh, private messaging using the signal protocol into Skype. Uh, in the near future. Now, that was some months ago, I think, when we did that episode. Um, as of recent versions of Skype, they have finally implemented uh, sig the signal protocol into Skype. Now, here's the rub with this. Okay, actually, there's a couple of rubs with this. It's in the desktop version, which is the most interesting part of this. I'll explain why. It's in the desktop version. It's in the iOS version. It's in the uh, Android version. I don't. I actually have, don't know if it's in the Windows 10 mobile version because that's kind of dead. But um, so it's available cross-platform, and it really, it's when you use it, whatever device you happen to be using it on, you have to specifically request to use a private chat. It's not on by default. Okay, which that's a point against it. It's not on by default. Of course, I understand why. I mean, there's an argument for why it's not on by default, but that doesn't mean that that's the most secure way to do it. It's not on by default because usually when you use Skype, you're using it for like, say, Teams or something, and you're doing it cross-platform. Now, when you're using the private messaging with the Signal protocol on Skype, it only exists on that device. You can't access it on other, I mean, that's the nature of the signal protocol. It works the same way with the implementation in Facebook Messenger and so on, okay? Um, so it's only, it's only on that device. If you try to chat, do a private chat on another device, you're not going to see the private chat uh, or you're not gonna see the signal, you know, encrypted uh, chat of that. So, but the nice part of this is that on your desktop, you know, this is a very, this is kind of an already baked in 
desktop version of the Signal protocol. In fact, it's kind of the only one minus the Signal desktop app, which you have to join with your phone. Um, but what's maybe more interesting is this is, I think, the only version of the Signal protocol that doesn't require a phone number because all it needs is, is a Skype mm, account. So yeah. that becomes very interesting. Now, the Signal protocol itself is rock-solid math. It is very good encryption. But here's the other rub with this, is that you don't know how well Microsoft implemented the Signal protocol. Like, you don't right, know what's being recorded. They're not open-sourcing their code or anything. Yeah, Skype's not open-source, so we don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, really, and, and this is true for Facebook. They may Face have bastardized it. <laughs> exactly. This is true for Allo. This is true for Facebook Messenger. This is true for WhatsApp. Great. They're using the Signal protocol. Don't you protocol. think if they try, it's better than nothing? Oh, I think it's better than nothing, yes. I, I, I think it's very nice to have this kind of implementation. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, if you really want to trust it, if you need to use the Signal protocol for those purposes, and you know what I mean, quote unquote, those purposes, whatever those are, you're only going to want to use the Signal app. You don't want to use anything else, you know, because Google, Facebook or Microsoft or whoever's, you know, even though they've implemented it, they could still be recording, uh, you know, a lot of what's being typed out. So, you know, we don't know how well it's implemented. In fact, there have been points, and I've quoted this, where like when when uh the Facebook, when Facebook Messenger implemented it, I think, they asked Moxie Marlinspike, the creator of the Signal Protocol at Open Whisper Systems, they said, so, you know, they basically asked him, well, how do you feel about this? And he said, well, it's a pretty good implementation. And I'm like, wait, he said it's, he didn't say it was perfect. He didn't say it was great. He says pretty good. You know, that worries me, like that he was kind of hinting at something in his Don't language. Don't you think he has kind of high standards, though? Oh, sure. But then I would agree with those standards, you know, even though I have my own issues with Moxie. But yeah, I mean, you, you could be right about that. I mean, like, it's a lot to, for anyone to say, like, yeah, you did my thing perfectly, exactly as I would have done. Right. It. You right. know, like, that's, I can't imagine too many creative types saying that. No, <laughs> that's true. security-focused creative that's, types. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. That's a, that's a fair point to bring up. But either way... Is there way, anything that he's said is a perfect implementation or, like, a better, no. better than good, or described more highly? No, he's never really said anything yeah, to that Yeah, that's effect. what I, I think that... It's impossible unless he implemented it himself. He sure. would never describe anybody else's implementation. Sure, I mean, it's as glowingly, right? I mean, and to be fair, like I disagree with him on some things. Like he doesn't believe in federated. Like he doesn't think Signal should be a federated technology. Uh, I mean, he, like I have some issues with how he thinks about things, uh, and I've talked about those for years. But regardless, yeah, I mean, definitely a tough critic, no doubt. Um, you know, would you rather have Skype with Signal or without? Well, of course, I'd rather have it with, mm -hmm. with the Signal protocol, uh, protocol baked in. As far as I know, it only works for text messaging right now. Um, but it's out there. So if people want to use that, if Skype is, I mean, and I understand I've had jobs where Skype is central to communication and to connecting with clients and whatever else. Um, you know, maybe you want to, if, if Skype is a big deal for you, start using those private messages. You know what I mean? And what the hell? So anyway, um, it's nice to at least have the option. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's the thing is that would you rather have it with or without? Of course you'd rather have it with. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, and I don't know if they're ever going to bake it into the, the video chat at all or audio or anything like that. That would be interesting if they do that as well. Um, but again, you are trusting Microsoft to some degree. So something to keep in mind. Now, Facebook messenger yeah. has some kind of encrypted chat. When was the last time you used that? <laughs> I don't know anybody that uses it. No, that. Yeah. me neither. I tried it when it first came out, right. but it, I don't know. For whatever reason, we didn't end up using it. Yeah, well, this is the thing is that, you know, like, 
this is why I think a lot of people don't use Signal. If there are people who don't use Signal, it's partly because it's not cross-platform. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. And uh, the guy, the head of Telegram, um, wow, it's terrible, Pavel Durov. Thank yeah. you. Uh, Pavel Durov, he came out and said that Signal will never be mass market because of the fact that the, your chat history isn't saved. You know, and in fact, that used to be a real problem. Like doing a backup of sig- of your signal chats used to be a pain in the ass. Now it's a lot easier, but it used to be a real problem. Um, and now you have the desktop app, so now it's a little more palatable to be able to do things kind of cross device. But yeah, I think with Facebook Messenger, like I-, I think people maybe kind of inherently know that or unconsciously realize no, it's Facebook. Like there, there's no, if I'm going to use Facebook, bother? why bother? <laughs> you know, I mean, with Microsoft, I think you could maybe think, yeah, no, they might get a little bit of a shit about privacy, but if it's Facebook, no, like why, why would I use the signal protocol for that? Why limit myself? I'm using messenger because it's available everywhere, you know, and if messenger wasn't, it wouldn't be as widely used as it is today, in my opinion. So anyway, any, you got any other thoughts on the whole, you know, signal protocol and Skype thing, Stephanie, anything you want to bring up? Um, I'd like to try it. I think it's good to have the option there. Yeah, we could give it a shot, you and I. Yeah, I mean, Skype was one of those things that I was always really concerned about, you know, explicitly hearing that, like, the NSA was listening on Skype calls. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's effectively spyware. I mean, it really is, yeah. It really really takes over your computer, too. Or it used to, the desktop app. Yeah, and and in fact, it got worse because, and and they're kind of backpedaling on this, but... Skype used to, well, again, and I've talked about this over the years, there was a time where, and Microsoft wasn't telling anybody, that they were completely rebuilding Skype, turning it from peer-to-peer into a uh, server-based system, you know, service. And when when they did so, like, there were some pretty rough moments. And if you had it cross-device, some of the, like, you know, if you get a Skype call, in fact, this still happens for me. I have like four computers that start ringing. I have a phone, a tablet that starts ringing. And then even like when I was using Outlook Premium, Outlook Premium has Skype built into it. And like my, my web browser would start ringing and everything. And it's just like, everything's God. just going off and you're, you're getting like, a million notifications. I know, I know. Yeah, like, holy <laughs> shit, stop. You know, I mean, you, ne- you almost never wanted to use Skype because of it because it was so fucking annoying. Um, but they did that because, you know, if it was a peer-to-peer infrastructure like Skype originally was, um, they wouldn't have been able to do, you know, implement Skype in all of those ways. I mean, that, that that's a huge conversation. Um, and eventually, I, I don't know, it, it seems like people don't use Skype like they used to. And maybe that's why Microsoft even baked this in in the first place is to try and get people to say, oh, no, 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 we got your privacy here. OK, just come and use us. Make sure you're using Skype. We'll see. I don't know. It's still a big deal for business, but for the everyday individual, I don't think so many people use Skype anymore. Um, so, all right, want to move on to another little story here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so this is, speaking of, <laughs> I mean, this feels like from the same era as when Skype was really in its heyday and was really a big deal. But uh, Opera, I know people might not have necessarily been expecting to hear about that, even though I have talked about Opera recently, and I've been saying probably for the past year or two, that really the browser wars are not over. I know it looks like everybody uses Google Chrome, but that's not really true. And this whole space, the browser space, is really uh, ripe for some disruption. I mean, it really is. And Opera has come out with a new version of their web browser for... The web browser for mobile platforms is called Opera Touch. And it's meant to, like the name kind of says it all, it's meant to be where, you know, it uses a lot of gestures and it's really around a touch first 
kind of concept. Um, but it also has what's called flow, where if you're signed into the same account on mobile and on desktop, you can send notes and bookmarks and all kinds of, you know, all kinds of content and information between your mobile phone and your PC, which this is a very hot thing that people are trying to solve right now. It's certainly something Microsoft is working on as well. In fact, now they have their phone to PC uh, app that you can install that will automatically send stuff to your PC, pictures, uh, links, and all kinds of other things. Uh, so this is definitely an area where people are trying to be on top of. Firefox does kind of the same thing. Um, it's not the most interesting aspect of this because while they're baking in all of that, um, a couple things. Well, one is, is that actually I, so I looked at Opera Touch, I installed it and you go to settings. Here's one problem with this, with this new version of Opera. Now, I mean, overall, I like Opera. Actually, I used Opera for years. I used to use Opera back when you had to pay for it. Um, I don't know a whole lot of guys that use Opera. There's a few, Daniel Rubino, who is actually a left market anarchist. Uh, at Windows Central. He's the head at windowscentral.com. Um, he uses Opera a lot. Um, I've known a couple other people that they use Opera pretty regularly. Um, I've, I've used it kind of off and on. Um, it's not people totally like it open source. It's e- it makes it easy to torrent, right? Well, that was a nice part of it, uh, you know, that it had like torrenting abilities yeah. built into it. They, they used to do a bunch. Of, I mean, there's so So here's, all right, here's why I really start, kept sticking with Opera for a while, was they had what was called Opera One. And Opera One, first off, yeah, it built, they built in a, a torrent client. But second off, you could stream from your computer, like music and all these other things. Like you almost, your computer would turn into almost network area storage. And as long as you had Opera installed on another computer and you're signed in with the same thing, uh, you would get, you'd have access to like all of these media files. And at the time, and we're talking like 2007, 2008, at the time that was kind of unheard of. Like now that, you know, cloud storage and all that is order of the day. But this is more of a peer-to-peer solution that was really, really interesting that Opera was doing. Um, but anyway, so now Opera with Opera Touch. When you go into the settings, the one problem that, w- that I have with it is that Google, you, you cannot change the search engine. It won't let you change the, the, the default search engine from Google to like DuckDuckGo, which is what I would do. Um, the... The thing, though, is that when you go into settings and you try to look for that, there's an interesting little feature. First off, you can turn on ad blocking, which their ad blocking is not the best. And this is run by a Chinese company and they're collecting all the data of what ads that you're blocking and they sell that off. So it's not like not not the most ethical ad blocking that's going on. But there's actually a switch, a setting for blocking uh, cryptocurrency miners which I thought was very, very interesting to it have that. interesting. Yeah, yeah, in a mobile browser. And it's, it's blatant. It's, a, it's one of like two or three settings that are even available. It, you know, do you want, and of course, it's referencing things like CoinHive, right? Where, you know, you go to a website and they might have JavaScript on there that will allow them to, you know, whoever runs the site effectively to mine cryptocurrency using some raw processes of your device while you're visiting the website. Um, and I thought that that was a very interesting thing to have included there as well. Uh, maybe not a shock from a Chinese company, but there it is. So that was cool, but that's not the most interesting thing. So we have new versions of opera, which opera has kind of gone through major revisions a few times, honestly, over the past couple of years, but now they're talking about, and it's in beta right now, but they have a browser that has a built-in cryptocurrency wallet let alone that they could block CoinHive and all that, but now it's going to have a built-in cryptocurrency wallet uh, and it has uh, dApps support. So it can work with you know Ethereum and, and all of that. In fact, the wallet built into Opera can 
if you have the beta, and it's a private beta, can actually handle like any ERC-20 token. Um, it can even handle like, what is it, the CryptoKitties? Yeah. Right? Or the Crypto Kittens? Or Kitties. Kitties. Yeah, it's Kitties. <laughs> crypto Kitties. Uh, it can handle that. It can do ERC-721s. Uh, I mean, it, it, like it can do, it can handle just about anything, you know, within the Ethereum stack, uh, which is, I mean, I think Ethereum's a failure, you know, and, and if people don't believe it yet, well, give it 2019. But it's, it's a very uh, popular widespread failure. <laughs> yeah, well, right. Um, but you know, this is interesting for Opera to make this play, and they're way ahead. And it's funny because W3C and all that, like the guys behind Firefox, and that end up like pushing a lot of different web technologies. I mean, Opera's ahead of the game. You know, on, on all those guys, they're not even paying attention. They're not even paying attention or waiting to see what they're going to do. Now, again, you might not want to trust Opera with your crypto because who knows how they're handling the keys. I don't have any details on that. But I think it's interesting that, you know, that there's a web browser that's actually allowing for this. But, you know, let's be clear here that, yes, this is run by a Chinese company. And some people, even though the Chinese people are separate from the Chinese government, you might be worried about Chinese government regulations. And that could bring the hammer down or who knows what could happen to your, you know, to your crypto that you're storing within your Opera web browser. So, I mean, Stephanie, now you're a co-host, one of the original co-hosts of Let's Talk Bitcoin, mm-hmm. the premier blockchain show in the world, in my opinion. And I'm curious, you know, to hear from you. I mean, like, like, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about having a web browser that has the wallet built into it, allows you to spend from the wallet built into it, and, you know, is, it can potentially run dApps and so on? What do, I mean, what do you think? I like it. Um, I think it'll be a great way to introduce those technologies to a lot of people who it makes it more accessible, basically. Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, don't keep all your savings in there, all your cryptocurrency savings in there, because it's more like a pocket, you know, change than anything else. Right. Um, I just think back to some of the apps for Chrome that you could run cryptocurrency wallets on. Oh, yeah. CryptoKit. Some of those. Yeah, Yeah, I remember those. Um, and that was nice to be able to sometimes use cryptocurrency right from the browser. Yeah, though, interestingly, you, you raise, I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't think about it. But you have historical precedent where, like CryptoKit, there was this scare years ago when, when that was a hot thing, um, where they removed it from the Chrome Web Store. And if you had put, your, if you had put a lot of money in oh, that, yeah. like it, it was deleted you from couldn't Chrome. Access it, yeah. Yeah, you had to like turn on developer options, and it was it was a very to ugly situation. Your keys, yeah, yeah it, I mean, it was scary mm-hmm. what happened there, and a lot of people were flipping out, saying, "Holy shit, I lost my money." So, I mean, that's the concern, right? Is that you become ultimately you're not really in control of your your private keys and everything with you know with your with your crypto, um, if it's beholden to the browser maker in some way. And CryptoKit was just an extension; it wasn't even run by Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a you know. Th- Fair warning. This has happened in the past, folks, that when you store shit in your browser, the browser maker made it go away. You know, I, so so that I mean, it's different. It's kind of different. But I think the abstract is the same. So great point. Uh, what else you got as far as that goes? I think it's really interesting that they want to give you the ability to turn off cryptocurrency miners. Yeah, um, I, I think that's something that people will demand as cryptocurrency miners get increasingly popular. Right. And they're anticipating like a future trend of the cryptocurrency miners growing. Yeah. So now if you run uBlock Origin, which is an ad blocker on whatever web browser you're running it on, that will automatically block CoinHive and that will block most of the JavaScript. I think that does any kind of cryptocurrency mining. Um, Opera Touch on mobile does not have extensions. Of course, neither does Chrome. Uh, 
Um, Firefox is the only mobile browser on Android that has that allows for extensions to the web browser itself. And you could put uBlock Origin on there to block all that. So it's not like they necessarily like it's not like Firefox needs to bake that in. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, and, and that like the two features that Opera Touch offers you within the settings. One is ad blocking and the other is stopping, you know, uh, cryptocurrency mining. Uh, yeah, that I think that is going to become more of a thing as people's devices I, start to yeah, slow down and it's whatever. It's a future trend. Yeah, sure. Sure. Uh, I mean, granted, one, you know, what a possibility is that Opera might get into their own cryptocurrency. They might develop their own and then they won't block oh, yeah. that one mm-hmm. just like they don't block ads. I'm sure I, I don't know if it's ever been proven or if it's ever been openly talked about, but I'm pretty sure that Opera's ad blocker will allow for ads that a company pays opera the company to let slip uh yeah ad block that, plus that does makes the same sense. thing yeah. yeah that's their business model so i think that that to some degree that's got to be going on oh interesting i wonder if it's a response to the brave browser at all it could be it could be yeah to to take on the brave browser of course the brave browser is based around kind of the opposite yeah in that they want you it to wants constantly you to mine, mine cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrency, yeah. right. And to deal with cryptocurrencies so so deeply. Uh, which, you know, bringing up the Brave browser is a good point because this is the first one to really, like, take cryptocurrency seriously. That's kind of its bread and butter uh, in a very real way. Uh, but Opera is still, you know, Opera is still a name that comes up when you talk about browsers. Even though it has very, very little, you know, uh, uh, user share, shall we say. It still comes up. So It probably has more than Brave. Oh right? yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's whole businesses that that rely on on Opera still to this day, quite frankly. Um, so I'm not saying that I'm not 100% recommending Opera, but it's an interesting option, you know, and that it's allowing for all of this. Uh, so and that it, it's kind of going down this road, and maybe more interestingly, even though D apps are a questionable thing to exist, depending upon what they're used for. Uh, maybe more interestingly will be the addition of not just extensions, but in this case, dApps into Opera itself that could allow for some fascinating cross-platform capabilities of those baked into the framework. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, so this is uh, this is quite the play and maybe one of the more interesting pieces of news to ever talk about in the blockchain space uh, as late. So, but while we're speaking about the blockchain space, why don't we do a quick little, uh, get to a little sponsor here for Sovereign Tech, and that is Horizon. Now, Horizon, you might recognize the last three words of that. It's not Horizon, but Horizon, Z-E-N. Horizon is now the new name for Zencash, which has been a longtime Sovereign Tech sponsor, and I'm so honored by that. Um, but Horizon is, and I love the new tagline, bringing privacy to life. That is, it kind of reminds me of like classic GE stuff, you know? Yeah. Where we bring good things to life. That's cool. I, yeah, I it's think like that's right brilliant. on the horizon. <laughs> exactly. Privacy is right on the horizon. Yeah, so Horizon is the new name for Zencash, um, but it's the same great technology, uh, you know, and, and I think that says it all, bringing privacy to life. They care about privacy. They're doing all the good stuff. And I want you to go and check it out. Go to Horizon, okay, dot global. It's H-O-R-I-Z-E-N dot global. And you can find out all about it and get started with it. And I thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. I need to have Rob, Rob, the the head at Horizon there, Rob Viglione. I need to have him on the show again, have him talk about uh, all these changes. I mean, because they're just developing so many exciting things um, at Horizon. So uh, there we go. Okay. Um, I think that does enough for, you know, 
we've talked the tech a bit. Why don't we get into some? Is it uh, time to get sexy? Yeah, maybe cool. get sexy. Let Let's talk up some uh, some other stuff here. Let's get in. I got a couple a uh, couple of interesting stories to go over with you, Stephanie. Yeah. And uh, this one's actually from Medium. This is one you sent me. And in fact, in previous episodes of Sovereign Tech, uh, when you've been on, we talked about uh, at least one of her, one of this woman's other stories, uh, Dr. Stephanie Estima, not Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Uh, but and and it was an interesting story. I think it was the one about like why women can be great leaders. Yeah, that was one we talked about by her in the past. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one that we did in the past episode. So um, anyway, let's let's read it here. Uh, it's called "Sleep Your Way to the Top." Very creative title, because yeah. it's not about what you think it is. <laughs> no, but I mean, it definitely, it, it grabs you. You're like, yeah. whoa, what's this? And I might have some words on all this, uh, you know, because I, well, all right, I'll share it here quickly. I mean, I've read books, not like Sheryl Sandberg kind of shit, but, you know, like in that vein of, okay, women, how do you, how to become successful, you know, and, and it was actually like a book that was kind of for men and women. But in the book, the women were actually recommending to women, yeah, go ahead, use your sexuality. You, you might as well be brutal, be ruthless, and and go ahead and fuck your way to the top. You know, and I know that's not exactly what's going to get talked Whoa. about here. Yeah, I was shocked. I was like, okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, anyway, that's not what this is about. I would love to wow. talk to you about that. I, don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like the argument kind of made sense. Like, you know, be ruthless. There are no rules. Do whatever you got to do to get to the position that you want. Like, I can kind of get that attitude and I can appreciate that kind of like, I don't know. I don't want to say ruthlessness, but I can appreciate. I mean, it's very egoistic, I think. And I I use the term egoistic in a positive sense. Yeah. It's just that sometimes, you know, when your sexuality is focused on at work, it's like from a man's perspective and he's using it to degrade you and yeah, not, right. not get you to the top, but to keep you at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I, it brought up like a ton of stories of women that, well, that's what they did and they admit to it. And that's how they got to their positions and everything. And I, very controversial, but I was like, wow, okay, well, there you go. So <laughs> I don't know interesting yeah but anyway that's not really what this article is necessarily about okay so uh so let's let's read on with the article and it says the ultimate evening routine for cutting stress creating momentum and cultivating happiness so obviously that's not about you know becoming the top ceo necessarily of of some company right um this is about how to be at the top of your game you know more so than than like you know getting to the top floor of some you know again some corporation or whatever Uh, So ready? Shall we read into it? Yeah, let's do it. As important as it is to start your day right, it's and you know, that's something we've talked about often on Sovereign Tech is like morning routine Mm. and and getting stuff, you know, getting your day started. Bullshit around that. (laughs) A lot of bullshit around that. Uh, But anyway, as important as it is to start your day right, it's equally important to end each day with intention. An evening routine not only honors the day you had, it prepares you for, t- for the tomorrow by generating massive momentum, productivity, focus, creativity, and energy. But you wouldn't know it in a society that celebrates busyness over basic health. The fact is that you cannot and will not be healthy if you are not actively optimizing your night routine. I've been tweaking my own for a few years, and the best version so far is below. Use it as a springboard for exploring what works for you. Now... You and I, Stephanie, we recently went to Canyon Ranch. Yeah. Okay. We that's went to right. uh, kind of a spa. And this was 
This is interesting. It's beyond just a spa. It's Yeah, like, it's an experience. A spa complex yeah. is part of it, but that's only part of it. Right. And I actually, I, I, I'm going to do like a Patreon episode where I review kind of the experience because there's a lot to be said about it. So anyway, this Canyon Ranch, like there, there was a talk that was given by a, uh, a doctor about the importance of sleep and inflammation and all this. I went to a second sleep talk given by a doctor that was specifically focused on women and sleep. Right. I did not attend you didn't, that one. You didn't go to that one. Yeah. So anyway, one of the key things I remember from this guy's talk was he was talking about you need to have a ritual at night. And it's a ritual that doesn't include screens and lights and all that other stuff, but just some kind of ritual that starts to wind you down for the end of the night. Um, so this is a thing that people are talking about that real health. I mean, you know, this is a doctor, Dr. Stephanie Estima here, but uh, this this doctor also talked about it as well. So this is something that's really being looked into and really being recommended by professionals across the board, uh, you know, medical professionals. So. Why don't we go into number one, you know, with that in mind, uh, number one, do a daily reflection. And there's a quote here from uh, Leo Babuta. If you reflect on the things you did right on your successes, that allows you to celebrate every little success. It allows you to realize how much you've done right. The good things you've done in your life. So reading on with the article, as my sons wash up before, uh, before bed, I spend five minutes answering the following questions. Number one, what are three amazing things that happened today? Number two, what's one or two thing things I learned today? The neurophysiology behind these exercises is that they get you out of your limbic system and into your neocortex. The limbic system is responsible for our emotions, among other things. It's an older part of our brain hardwired for survival. As such, it's where our fearful thoughts reside. In his book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, Dr. Daniel Amen calls these thoughts ants or automatic negative thoughts. As you may have guessed from the name, we can't control these thoughts. No amount of ohms or chants will get rid of them, but we can counter them. Brain exercises that selectively bias you toward positivity shift your neural activity to your neuro, you know, sorry, your neocortex, more specifically to, to your left prefrontal cortex, which controls happiness and joy. So pretty much saying before you go to bed, think about what great things happened today. I mean, that seems to be kind of the gist here. I mean, what do you, what do you think of it, Stephanie? I like that. I definitely do do a daily review. And I notice like when I'm working right up until bedtime and I don't have a chance to sort of reflect on the day, yeah. I end up doing it while lying in bed and not falling asleep. So ah. it's it's really important, I think, for me anyway, to start that processing before you start falling asleep. Because you do also do some processing of your day in dreams as well. Yeah. And while you're sleeping, you're forming new connections of things you learned in the brain. Memories are solidifying uh you're processing emotional stuff through dreams. Yeah. So that happens unconsciously while we're dreaming, but you can start the process consciously and that's very helpful. Sure. Sure. I, and, and I totally get what they're saying. And, and in fact, I think it's a great thing to do because I feel like so many of us think way too hard, like about the negative things that people do and they don't realize and even in their day, they don't realize that 80% of their day was actually pretty good. Mm. It's just that the negative parts stand out so strongly that you can't help but think about them. Right. And, and that's a pity because, you know, most people's lives are actually, you know, they might even be downright humdrum that they're so not negative. You know, I mean, unless they see that as a negative. But 
Yeah, I, I, I don't think we, we, we definitely don't spend enough time as a species overall thinking about the good things uh, that happen to us or thinking about what we learn during the day. I think that's a great thing to ask, too, because then you can maybe even remember what you learned even better because you've thought about it twice, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Repetition makes memories happen more easily. And, you know, I find that even doing that daily review, sometimes it can save you from having nightmares or bad dreams because sure. you're starting to do some conscious processing of the stuff that's on your mind before you get to dreaming. Right. You know, and so it clears the cue a little bit, I think. Yeah. Now, you know, interesting thing about dreaming. Let's talk about that for a second. So the same guy, I'm going to call him Dr. Param because that was his first name at, uh, at Canyon Ranch that we were at. He got a question about dreams. Like, if you can remember your dreams, does that mean your night's sleep was better? And he said, no, absolutely not. And he actually said, because you don't realize how many dreams you have. You only really remember the last one, maybe that's two right. or three, like, but you probably had a hundred. You know, I mean, that's kind of the point that he was making as far as that goes, which is interesting because myself, like, I usually don't remember my dreams at all. And when I do remember my dreams, I actually do think usually that I have a better. Well, it depends what kind of dream it is. If it's a good dream, I feel like I had a better night's sleep. If I do remember my dream, sometimes I feel like I didn't sleep at all because like, I, I don't know, I guess maybe my imagination is just that damn good to where it feels very real for me. And so I don't think that I actually slept. Um, but regardless of that. It's interesting to bring up about, I guess, to, to understand that with your dream, like, I know some people want to fall asleep, and if you're falling asleep positively, or if you fall asleep thinking about a certain thing, this is a, like, kind of an old urban legend, I think, that if you think of whatever you think about as you're going to sleep, you're going to dream about it. Do you ever find that to be true at all, Stephanie? I find, I had heard that urban legend before. Yeah. And I've tried it. I've yeah. tried thinking about like sexy or like people that I want to have sex with yeah, in my yeah, dreams yeah. before I go to sleep and hoping I'll get a dream about them. It never works. Never works. In fact, it's the opposite. If I think about something before I go to bed, I'm unlikely to dream about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I've messed with this at various points in my life. And recently I've messed with it a little bit more. I sort of feel like it works. But then at the same time, it really can't because, again, you have so many dreams. Like, okay, maybe you could influence one of them, but that doesn't mean what you're going to be dreaming about all night long, you know? Uh, so that's an important point to bring up. But regardless, going to sleep, I think, with a positive attitude or, you know, thinking positively probably helps. You know, I don't know mm -hmm. if it's going to give you better dreams, but it probably helps. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, you want to move on to number two? Sure. All right. Number two, reframe negative experiences. Uh, our key to transforming anything lies in our ability to reframe it. It's a quote from Marianne Wilson or Williamson. Uh, so here we'll read it. I always follow the exercise above with this question. Okay. The exercise above was ask yourself those two questions. What happened amazing to me? What's a couple things? And then what did I learn today? Uh, and here's the question. What's one thing you could have handled better today? If you had a challenging encounter with a coworker, family member, or friend, and didn't express yourself or behave the way you wish you had, mentally reenact the scenario in the way you'd like to have handled it. Note that this is not an opportunity to use your best one-liner or create unnecessary drama. This exercise is designed to help uh, prime you to act in accordance with the best version of yourself. You know the loving, caring, or you know the loving, caring, intelligent-centered, strategic person you are. When you reframe a negative experience by visualizing yourself acting as your highest self, the brain begins to create neural pathways that will be available to you when a similar scenario puts you to the test, and it will. Reflection and visualization prime you to get it right next time. Stephanie, what do you think about that? 
I like that. That sounds a lot like, you know, some therapy techniques, I uh-huh. guess, of re- reframing and reprocessing stuff. Sure. Um, that's not quite what I thought she was going to mean by reframing. Right. Um, I thought... I thought it was more like a gratitude exercise. Like, oh, yeah. Basically, like, you know, if you're thinking, oh, my God, you know, like my kids are getting on my nerves, my husband's getting on my nerves mm-hmm. or whatever, they're annoying me. Um, I have all these pet peeves. The drivers on the road are terrible. Well, you could look at it with a different perspective and say, oh, my gosh, I'm so lucky. I have a car yeah. that works and I, you know, I'm relatively safe. I haven't had a car accident in a while. And, you know, my I have a husband. I have a family. I have a great, you know, two great children that I've been blessed to have, you know. Right. <laughs> um, so, like, sometimes those things do help to reframe, to look at things with a different perspective, things that are annoying you or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you could take it that direction, too, where you could actually reframe and see, oh, actually, it wasn't that bad. You know, even when you're just trying to, Mm -hmm. like, figure out your best version of yourself and how you should or how you feel you should have reacted, Mm -hmm. um, that can maybe help you realize it wasn't that bad in the first place. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's certainly something to be said for getting an idea of how you would like to do something differently next time it comes up, too, because then you'll be prepared for that situation if it arises again. Yeah, right. Which is kind of what she's saying. And you're like, you're setting up your neural pathways to, to kind of make that instinct. Okay, next time a stranger makes a comment on the Internet that I disagree with, I'm not going to respond i'm going to chuck my phone into the lake of fire <laughs> never to see it again That's right. and and have experienced true freedom yes. and, uh, <laughs> yeah right uh so anyway want to go on to the next one yes yeah i i agree with that. i think that, that that all sounds very helpful um not something i don't know that i really do that uh in fact if i do do that often i think i don't go with the reframing i will concentrate on how i fucked up but then I won't bother trying to reframe it or looking yeah. to how I could have done it better or anything like that. And that part, I should really go to that next part. I think a lot of us do the half. Yeah. They don't go all the way. So, yeah, that's a great, great suggestion. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next so, time I hear you concentrate, like ruminating on how you fuck something up, I'm going to say, how do you think you could have done that differently, Brian? How do you wish you would have done that instead? I like that. <laughs> great communication comes with great questions. Yeah. So, all right. Let's, uh, yeah, let's go to number three. Uh, play Tetris. This is interesting. Wow. Playing Tetris for 15 minutes is like meditation. That's according to Ezra Koenig. Uh, reading the story here. Yes, I know. The doctor is telling you to play a video game. The same doctor who tells you to reduce your exposure to devices and screens. Yeah, what's but, up with that? Right, but it's not without good reason. Playing Tetris regularly has shown to promote the growth of gray matter in the brain. In other words, adding it to your routine helps support your brain's adaptability and flexibility. Two crucial tools shown to help combat prominent neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, uh, multiple sclerosis, and Parkinson's. There's even a name for this link, the Tetris Effect. A study looked at MRI brain scans for two groups, those who played Tetris for 30 minutes a day and those who did not. After three months, the participants who played Tetris had thicker gray matter than when the experiment began. As a result, playing Tetris has been shown to improve both long-term and working memory, spatial awareness, and depth perception. It also helps amplify your problem-solving abilities by regularly encouraging you to look at situations from various perspectives. Now, That's very interesting, very interesting. And actually, this is one before we ever read to this thing. We do. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, does it have to be Tetris? I know Tetris is the one that was studied because that's been a game that's been around for 30 years. Right. But um, 
I wonder if it works for Tetris-like games, such as Dr. Dr. Mario. Mario or what some of those like fruit ninja games where you have to line up the fruits or something and they oh, go like kind of match three games yeah, or gems yeah. or something yeah, or but you jeweled know, jewel, or whatever. yeah jewel maybe yeah. um but i i mean i think this is true this kind of advice gets given for crossword puzzles and all kinds of things so sudoku sudoku right so <laughs> i i think any of them could really help but yeah, yeah. we play dr mario like there's no tomorrow. I mean, you and yeah, I, we play that almost right. daily. I think we should play it after we do the show. Sounds what do like you a think plan about to me. That? Absolutely, I would love to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, or or you can play Tetris. Uh, that that certainly works as well. But um, but yeah, we we do play Doctor Mario a lot. And, yeah, and I I think that's got to be activating the same thing because it's totally a Tetris clone. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a little different, yeah. but it's only a little different as right. far as that goes. So that's interesting. Play Tetris beforehand. But that was something Dr. Param was talking about at Canyon Ranch where he was saying, you know, don't have any screens on an hour before bed. That's what a lot of people are recommending. Well, you're just going to have to get a vintage 90s Game Boy with no backlit <laughs> screen and just play it on there. By the via salt lamp. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's not a bad idea to do across the board anyway. You so, know, I find I find those games, like any kind of video games right before bed, I do find them a little bit overstimulating because it's like the music is bleeping and, yeah. you know, the sound effects are blaring and you get agitated like, oh my God, I I almost had a row and somebody something just <laughs> dropped on me. Ah! Yeah, you start putting out some uh, some pretty heavy exclamations, uh, that's for sure. <laughs> so, but, well, you know, all right, real quick on that. I mean, a funny thing is that like I'm not top of my game at that time. Like if we're going to bed at 10:30 or something like that, 10:30 p.m. Um, I, you know, I like I'm tired and and I just I won't be able to play you know Dr. Mario at level 17. You know, I'd be lucky if I'd be even be good at like level 12 or something. Sure. As to where if I did it an hour later, you know, I'll 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 beat the game. I'll go all the way past level 20. You know, which I've done. Um, so. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of what's weird about it. If it's just for the mental exercise, and I guess, and not so much the competition, that's a, that's a little bit different. But it's nice that these are also happen to be games that have been long designed for multiple players, uh, you know, to be able to jump in on. So, you know, you can do it together if you're with a couple or however many. So, you know, I think that that's, that's really, that's pretty cool. Um, anyway, all right, let's, you want to go on to number four? Sure. Make your to-do list for tomorrow, today. Boy, Stephanie's all over this. <laughs> I make my to-do list for tomorrow last week. Yeah, weeks in advance. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do. I mean, at the end of my workday, I review the tasks that I did today. Yes. And then I review what I'm going to do tomorrow. Right. Yeah, and you have an amazing, we've talked about this before. I have a great when you've been system for, your, for that. Your Google Calendar is second to none mm. uh, as, as far as that goes. Yes. I mean, I, like I'll stand it up against anybody. So, all right, uh, here's a, a quote from Daniel Levitin uh, before it gets into the main part. Brain extenders are anything that get, get information out of your heads and into the physical world. Calendars, key, uh, key books by the front door, notepads, to-do lists. So those are brain extenders. Okay. Anyway, uh, reading with it, identifying what you want to achieve tomorrow is an empowering way to end your day. When you wake up with a plan, you can serve that precious morning energy otherwise wasted on prior 
prioritizing tasks. We only have a finite amount of brain juice for decision-making each day, so any way to lighten the load for our future selves is a powerful gift. Making a plan the night before also allows your brain to mull over tasks and problems overnight. A ninja trick I like to use is directly asking my subconscious to work on a problem I'm dealing with. For reasons I'm unable to explain neurologically, making this conscious ask of my subconscious presents me with a new way of looking at the problem come morning. So pretty much she's saying she starts thinking about it kind of the night before. And then when the morning hits, even though she's not like really consciously thinking about it, solution presents itself, uh, apparently. So, yeah, I mean, this is pretty solid stuff. Sure. Plan for your day the day before. Um, I mean, there's something to be said for. You have to always plan, you know, some people are going to hate this, but it's like, you're always having to plan everything in advance. Like, like those doctors that were giving the sleep lectures were saying that everybody thinks like a bedtime routine helps you get to sleep. And yes, it does. But really, like everything you do the day before sets you up for sleep that night. Yeah, it's it's totally setting up your day. Yeah. Totally setting up everything. Yeah, no no doubt about that. So in the morning, you got to be planning for going to sleep. And at night, you have to be planning for the next morning. Yeah. (laughs) Some people would find that really challenging. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for having time for spontaneity, you know, and to just do things like out of the blue. And I think that that's actually really you know, that's really great. I like, I, I can appreciate operating that way, uh, sometimes. So, but yeah, you know, scheduling stuff ahead of time that, you know, you got to do what the hell, or, you know, like, like, you know, getting it in order, writing it down on a to-do list or something like that. Sure. Um, okay. Let's go to number five. So number five is keep the same sleep and wake schedule, no matter what. Uh, I wake yeah, up at that's about a good one. Sure. I wake up at about the same time every day. I sleep well and wake without an, without an alarm clock, uh, Donatella Versace. So that's, well, that's interesting. Anyway, let me read about it. Starting and ending your day at the same time is incredibly important for long-term vitality, productivity, and focus. We are creatures of habit, and we maintain those habits via circadian rhythms. Communication between the various clocks in our body and our master clock in the brain helps regulate our natural sleep and wake cycles. The master clock in our brain is called the super... Super chiasmatic nucleus. Bingo. I knew that without even after looking. Bravo, Dr. Murphy. Yes. Uh, It's sensitive to light and it directs our wake and sleep cycles. It syncs itself with light that comes through the retina and regulates itself accordingly. Then it coordinates with other more peripheral body clocks using neural or hormonal signals, core body temperature or eating and fasting cues. You can begin to see how late night computers slash device use, snacking and large dinners throw off our internal clocks. Have you heard the phrase, quote, eat breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince and dinner like a pauper, end quote? Research yes, suggests and I ignore it. Yeah, yeah, because you do, you know, I intermittent eat, fasting. I don't eat breakfast. I don't eat lunch, and I eat dinner like a king, <laughs> actually <laughs> like right. a queen. Woo, I'll say. <laughs> uh, research suggests this may be the best way to optimize and sync our circadian rhythms. Of course, again, Stephanie, there's you know, alternative evidence to suggest no, we should do intermittent fasting and you know have this eight-hour window that we eat eat within uh at night and then you know whenever you go to bed or less than eight hours yeah 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 or significantly less um let's walk through a common north american evening with our internal clocks in mind outside the sky begins to darken we should be preparing for rest instead this is when our largest consumption consumption of energy dinner takes place and just like that we're already out of sync after dinner maybe we watch tv or browse social media on our devices increasing the amount of light and stimulation reaching our central clock in the brain 
This exposure inhibits the natural release of melatonin, a hormone that regulates sleep. Or perhaps we skip the screens, instead pouring ourselves a glass of wine or indulging in a late-night snack. This creates circadian dissonance between the brain, which sees it's dark outside, and the body, which is now full of energy to burn. So when you eat late at night, the peripheral clocks in your liver, gut, and fat cells wake up. Hey, there's new energy here. Time to rev things up and put this to good use. While your brain is like, whoa there, it's dark outside. Time for bed. One of the best ways to sync your central and peripheral clocks is to stop eating after 7 p.m., allowing the stomach several hours to empty, which is to say while you are, uh, you know, while you are upright. We'll correct for mixed messages between your brain and body, or as a more general rule of thumb, stop eating three to four hours before bedtime to allow your stomach to empty itself completely before your nightly fast. So I got to imagine, Stephanie, that you have a lot of thoughts on this uh, because I mean, that's so first off, we often eat at 7 p.m. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think that's ideal. I think, I mean, it would be better to eat closer to six or even sure. five or something. Sure. Like, I'm hungry around then, you know, right. I've been fasting all day. Right. Uh, we do the one meal a day kind of intermittent fasting. Yes. And so for for me, <laughs> what that means is that I spend all day working and there's usually one to two workouts in there as well. Yes. And then after all that, then I have to cook dinner and then I can eat it. Right. So it's like eating is almost like the last thing I do in the day. And it takes a while to like cook and prepare a healthy dinner. Sure. You know, it's it's hard, you know. So I end up often eating later than I would like. And I prefer to I do prefer to have a couple hours after dinner that I you know, after I've finished eating before I go to bed. Yeah. But it just doesn't always work out that way because there's so much to cram in before the eating can happen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um this is a real this is a I mean the way that that this is laid out uh, in in this article or in this post is kind of tough for me uh, for a few reasons. In fact, this is something based upon what we learned about sleep, you know, again, when we were at that at that talk. Um, So, you know, they're talking about how the way that caffeine breaks down in the body and really like you should not be drinking caffeine past the first half of the day. So basically like past noon, more or less, they're saying you shouldn't be drinking caffeine. Here's my challenge. I work out before dinner and I mean, it's a workout. It's an hour and a half or so. Um, it is, you know, balls to bone. It is serious. And, you know, I mean, we're talking very heavy weights. I have a pre-workout drink. That pre-workout drink is anywhere between 200 to 400 milligrams of caffeine. That's okay. four cups of coffee, folks. Right. Usually. And, and usually that's when I'm done stopping for the day with my work, which is around 5 p.m. Five, six. 630. Right. So I am having that much caffeine that time of the day. That's crazy. Like that, that should not be that. I should not be doing that, but I don't know exactly how to solve that. I either have to work out in the morning or at noon, which not to say that that's like such a bad thing. Or, you know, I know that there's alternatives that don't have caffeine in them. Those pre-workouts are not, they don't cut it. Okay. They just don't cut it. There's a reason people don't really talk about them or use them much. Uh, So, you know, I'm really at a disadvantage here, and it's something that I have to figure out. So this is interesting to talk about all this, because a lot of what they're recommending, like, would be very difficult based on some of the, you know, health tactics that I'm implementing and based upon some of other things that we do. Like we say, intermittent fasting and whatever else and just the way that my work life works. Like, you know, the concept of the ritual that they were talking about, and we'll we'll read more of these, but the concept of the ritual that that was uh, being discussed at the talk that we went 
like, I don't know. That's, that's really hard to not look at because I mean, I'm working almost all the time and it's kind of same for you, Stephanie, you know, I get in my workout. That's kind of my only real no screen time. Otherwise I have to be ready on those screens. I never know when somebody's going to ask a question. It could be a client in Japan or something mm. like that. I mean, it's really bad. I know I have clients all over the world too. Sometimes I'll wake up to emails from the European time right. zone and I'll start getting into eat Start getting e- emails, emails from yes. India and Japan at night, you know, right. 10, 11 o'clock at night, something like that. And so it's like, wow, Jesus, this never stops. And then the Americans are emailing during the day. And it's like, oh, my God. This, this is a real challenge of the interconnected world. Yeah. Is that we're never off. We're yeah. never really off. That's right. and, and that sucks. I mean, oh, you know, great. We get to make a shit ton of money. The thing is, you got to make so much money that you just can't you don't have to work anymore. And that's a hard hustle. You know, to to get to that point. Definitely. Um, and, Definitely. And, you know, I don't know that everybody can do that, you know, but and so instead we're just we're always fucking on. And there's a part of me that misses the nine to five, you know, where it's like, OK, no, because when I leave that building, it's done. Absolutely. It's fucking done. There's a big part of me that misses just being able to go to a cabin in the woods. And like, if somebody wants to talk to you, they have to call you on the landline or like, come get you and knock on the door. (laughs) I mean, this is why I've also been, because the other thing is, is that, you know, this interconnectivity, it's not just about business, you know, which certainly is very serious, but it's also about personal relationships. And this is why I've been really trying very hard in my own life to have people near me to where I don't have to talk to them on the phone, you know, and I don't have to be texting them, but they're actually here. They're right here. I think this is so important because otherwise we are just, I dare say we're killing ourselves, you know, because of shitty ass sleep and, you know, and so on. Um, That's a real struggle. I hear you. I mean, I want friends too. And I've had trouble with, with, uh, Making and keeping local friendships. Right. Um, Not because, you know, some of them end because the friendship ends, but some of them end because the person moves away. Yeah. And in in some cases, the person expats all the way to the other side of the planet. Right. And then they're on other time zones. (laughs) Yeah. And then in some cases, they're completely like, I have a friend who moved to Taiwan. Yeah. You know, and so she's in the complete opposite time zone as me right and so if i want to talk to her we make a plan to talk at nine it's 9 p.m for her but it's 9 a.m for me and we can only talk at the beginning or the end of the day yeah and then i have friends in england and so it's like their forward is five hours ahead sometimes and we always get screwed up around daylight savings day and you know just time zones are so funny and yeah it is it is a struggle, right? Like, yeah. I, I have to limit my personal messaging to certain times of the day. Otherwise, I would literally just be able to chat with different people all day and right. never do any work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so I mean, this is, you know, I'm, I'm going to make this bold statement. But, like, the real, the interconnected world is detrimental to human health. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm going to say it. We haven't caught up to it evolutionarily. Yeah, I mean, we're not say. ready for it. Yeah, we're, we're not ready for it. We're not for ready it. for it. But Our I biology doesn't, does, is not compatible. Yeah, it's not compatible with it. And I don't, I don't think the answer is, okay, well, then turn me into a machine. You know, no. Yeah. How about we turn these technologies into things that are beneficial to us and that respect 
um, our biology mm-hmm. instead of doing it the other way around. Mm-hmm. And I think Silicon Valley and a lot of other industries and companies and tech giants and whatever, they want to go the other way around. No, no, no. We'll mold the human body to work the way our technologies work. No, 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 no. Let's do it the other it. way around. Yeah. You know, and let's start. I mean, I don't know how to solve this, you know, how to get these companies to recognize, hey, I'm a human fucking being. Okay. And I cannot respond to you right away. You can't get a response right away. And, you know, and also I think another major part of it is that, you know, people got to got to get their what I'll call their Dunbar circles in order, I think. And you got to get people, you know, I mean, I, I want people to consider but what this. if your Dunbar circle lives far away? That's, I mean, and, well, that's what I want people to consider. Okay, is that understand that you are like what you could potentially be doing to your friend's body, you know, by talking to them at weird times of of the day or or night or something like that. I mean, it's just it's something to consider. I'm not saying that I have the ultimate answer. I'm not saying that that's the best answer because, yeah, you still want those relationships. They're still fruitful. They're still beautiful. They're still wonderful. They're still enriching. So why wouldn't you want them? But I think we got to take a good hard look at how we're interacting with those, you know, and when, and, and that we can't respond to each other right away and so on, you know, it's, we've created an interconnected on demand world. That's what makes it kind of so bad. Not so much the interconnectivity, but the on demand is what's rough. So anyway, I I just, I think we should make technologies that respect our biology, not change our biology to respect our technologies. And I think everyone can adjust their own expectations, too. Sure. Like, if somebody doesn't respond to your text right away, don't take it personally. It doesn't mean they hate you, or it doesn't mean that they, they're cheating on you or yeah, something. Yeah, sleeping you know, with somebody or who Right. It yeah. doesn't mean, it, like, it just, maybe it just means that they decided to take a break from their phone for a few minutes. Damn right. And that's okay. To go be intentional? Yeah. Or to spend a day at a beach or something like that, or where, where the phone does, just doesn't work? Yeah, that's oh, right. Oh, praise them be like yes good for you you know uh, yeah so absolutely i think that that's a fair point to bring up anyway that was a nice little side subject there mm-hmm. uh really to get into in fact all right you know you know what? i want to take this a little further yeah i, I, I want to know where you're going i want to go do, do you know where i'm going with maybe this? let's see i was going to mention something called workationing ah okay so, that wasn't what i thought but i support workationing i love the podcast and i love those gals yeah yeah so workationing is a podcast um done by carrie and kelly who, yeah, they are they are just wonderful, uh, wonderful human beings, uh, and and believe me, they they understand a lot of the stuff that we talk about uh, philosophically on this show. So uh, you know, don't worry about that. Um, but they had I want to they had a series recently in their podcasts. One of them I think was the episode uh, called I think it was it was either episode fifty four or episode fifty three. But they have a series called Relation Shit. You can listen to the whole thing, and a lot of it is directed more towards women which not that that's a bad thing at all, by mm-hmm. all means. Um, but then like in part four, they do kind of a Q and a from, from their listeners and their listeners are of all stripes and genders. Uh, I recommend listening to those episodes and there's a point where they get into a conversation and where Kelly's, uh, you know, Kelly and Carrie are talking about how your relationships online. And it's, this is really powerful stuff that they were bringing up. You know, they were saying that, that it's kind of, kind of it's just a weird tether because you may not always like stephanie you're talking about how you have to you schedule time frames where you're kind of available say on facebook messenger or something like that right mm-hmm. you know you're available nine to five but after five o'clock you turn it off and you're not going to respond to any messages until nine o'clock the next day or something like that 
Okay, that's kind of the weird thing about online relationships, about these interconnected relationships in this way, is that, like, the person's there, they're in your Facebook feed, they might be in your messenger list or something like that, but you're not really there with the person. And you don't really know what's going on for them because, I mean, text can only tell you so much. Even a Skype call really can only tell you so mm-hmm, much. Mm-hmm. So you're not really there. You're not really seeing what's going on for them. You might not see the look in their eyes that could tell that they're going through a really hard time. And it was a pretty powerful thing to listen to this podcast because, and I recommend you write into them if you, you know, uh, they, they give you all their details in their podcast, write into them and, you know, let them know that I talked about it and that, you know, you listened to it and if it really affected you, because it really hit me. There's a point where like Kelly talks about how she met a guy on Tinder. Okay. And they had a great date. You know, it was nice. And then, you know, like he doesn't respond back to some of her texts. And he, I, I, and if I'm, you know, botching the story, I apologize. But he eventually texts her and says, Hey, look, I, I, you know, I have a cold. I can't really meet up for you for the next date. And she thinks, Oh, he's blowing me off. But then he texts and says, Yeah, I'm in the hospital. Yikes. Suddenly, story is becoming a little more believable. Then, next thing you find out, you know, like, and he's texting her from the hospital and everything. He's really in the hospital. He's cracking jokes. And then come to find out, you know, he stops texting. What's going on? And she finds out that he's like in a coma. Like, oh. I mean, he's like, he's had, like, he, I mean, he really, he, I mean, she thought he was blowing her off. But instead, like, he's really, you know, he's down and out. He's really and he's still sick. down and out. Yeah. It's been for months, apparently. And this is her last, this was like her last great date. And she was really hoping, yeah, I get, or it sounds like she was hoping something was going to happen here. And the weird part for her is that she wants to go and visit this guy because she cares. And, you know, they're they're communicating and everything. But how is she going to tell the people there why she needs to visit him? Yeah, we met on, you know, he's this guy I met on Tinder and whatever. And you go like, that's the thing is that the communication, it's just it's just this very, very, very light tether. That doesn't sound like to anybody, you know, to anybody else or in a meaningful situation, it doesn't sound meaningful. You know, and then Carrie goes on to talk about how there was an ex-boyfriend of hers that she found out committed suicide. How did she find out? Who she found out on Facebook. Oh. And she's like, you know, he was always kind of in the back of my mind. It wasn't like a bad breakup or anything like that. And then you just, you kind of find it. And she found out like a year later and everything. But like, she never bothered to reach out because there's like this tether that, oh no, he's in my Facebook feed. It's fine. Right. You know, and, and, and so on. It, it's really, it's an amazing thing to listen to. And it brings up the point that are we really connected when we're only spending time with each other online, when we're only talking through those venues, because it's kind of like in the back of, yeah, they're out there, they're out there, you know, kind of like, you know, again, like an astronaut connected to a shuttle, you know, right. on, on some kind of tethering line and you're the shuttle, mm-hmm. but you don't really know what's going on for these people. You, you can't really find out and you don't bother to even reach out because to you, you're like, well, I'm satisfied. They're still friends with me on Facebook and it's not enough. And I think it's such a huge point to bring up, you know, and yeah, I, I really recommend listening to those episodes. If I think about it, I'll link them in the show notes uh, for, for people to check them out. But it, it's such a powerful thing to think about, um, you know, how those relationships work out. And then to say nothing of the fact that if you just want to say goodnight to somebody 
you know, you, this is going to fuck with your sleep schedule, right? Because you got to break it out and, you know, and you got to, you got to, you're going to type at the end of the night. And you and I, Stephanie, both, you know, have been, uh, shall we say egregious on that where, you know, at night we're, we're even in bed and we're typing stuff out to people. And I try not to do that. Yeah. I've, I've been doing it a lot less lately, but, sure, but yeah, it's tough. sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's hard. Yeah, it's really tough, especially when these are people you care about, yeah. you know, especially when it's a conversation you want to finish before bed and you want to resolve something or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah because you're right. You never want to go to bed with anything unresolved. Yeah. So this is this is something. Yeah, we as humans, we're not ready for the technology we have. We're still catching up to it. And I think there is a lot of adjustment that needs to happen to the technology or the way that we react to it so much uh, before we can really solve this. I mean, this, this is, you know. I dare argue that smartphones are almost like a pandemic. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so crazy because we're so not ready for it that it's, it's detrimental, you know? I mean, you could, you could list off all the positives of it and I know that there are a bunch, but the negatives might be, might come at too great a cost. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love the, I love the old analogy. I've mentioned it a few times. It's not mine. I didn't come up with it, but I love the old analogy of uh, plumbing in Rome saying, oh, Rome was so advanced, you know, ancient Rome, ancient Rome was so advanced they had plumbing, you know, they brought water to the desert. They did this amazing thing. It allowed them to live so lavishly. It was so wonderful. But the pipes were lead and it was literally driving them mad. This interconnectivity of water, this ability to live in all these disparate places and everything, you know, and to live such a great life and to live healthier because, you know, you could, not, I mean, you didn't literally flush a toilet, but you could effectively flush waste away and do all this wonderful stuff was driving, this advancement was driving them insane. Because, you know, lead poisoning and, uh, you know, and, and what it did to their brains. So sometimes I feel like smartphones and this interconnectivity is doing that to us as well. And, and that's, that's a very real concern to bring up. So anyway, wow, that was a hell of a side tangent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, do you have anything you want to say about all of that, Stephanie? Do you have any points that you want to bring up about that? If not, we can go to number six. We still have number six. And seven I, and eight. Yeah, let's move on to number six. All yeah. right, let's go to number six. Um, oxygen levels dip in the evening. And this is a quote from Chris Carr. There's a great metaphor that one of my doctors uses. If a fish is swimming in a dirty tank and it gets sick, do you take it to the vet and amputate the fin? No, you clean the water. So I cleaned up my system. There's a fish. <laughs> I'm making a fish face at Brian. <laughs> And there's that puffer. There's that squishable little puffer. That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love you too. I know. Do you take it to the, you know, so do you take the vet to, or do you take the fish to the vet and amputate the fin? No, you clean the water. So I cleaned up my system by eating organic, raw greens, nuts, and healthy fats. I am flooding my body with enzymes, vitamins, and oxygen. So that's from Chris Carr, but let's read the story here uh, or read the, the actual write up part of it. Uh, what to do without your usual post-dinner routines. A healthy replacement is to take a light, brisk walk. This will aid in digestion and, more importantly, help oxidize your body in preparation for restful night's sleep. First off, I'm going to stop right there. This is great. <laughs> like, because like, I was going to get to the end of this article and say, you know, I don't know what to do for my night ritual. I have no idea. I would love nothing more. I love late night walks. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love them with a, with the deepest passion. And I think a late night walk after dinner before, just before bed would be the most beautiful thing. I don't know about you. What do you think about that, Stephanie? I'm having a hard time getting past the idea of mosquitoes. Nah, well, but when it's, we don't, mosquito season is not too crazy here in New Hampshire. Yeah. 
you know, if it's the fall or something like that, or even hell, even in the winter, I love walking, you know, getting that cold air in the lungs. I mean, that's, that feels phenomenal. Talk about oxygen. All right. We'll check in about that in the winter. Um, I actually think I prefer, I would love to do this with you, Brian. Yeah. Sometimes I ask you and you're, you're too busy. So you just say, Oh, no. yeah, I know what but you're going to say. Yoga before yes, bed. I like right. to do yoga before bed for like an hour. Right. Yeah, the only reason I'm not like if it were really a like nighttime, what do you call it, vinyasa? Or usually you don't do vinyasa at night. Not vinyasa, um, uh, whatever. A light yoga. Yeah, where it's more you're more on your knees more often, and you're not like getting into down dogs. And yeah, everything. yeah. Um, I would be game for that mm-hmm. at night to you know to fall asleep to that. Yeah, I, I think we we should do like restorative yoga or like something sure. really gentle at night. Yeah, the only reason I don't. Because uh, I'll do yoga with you, and we try to do it actually together once a week. You do it more often. Um, but the only reason I don't like to do it at night is that if it's really strenuous, I mean, just a few hours previous, not even, I would have done a strenuous workout right. that, like, I'm just beat from. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I work myself out until, like, I'm just so sore. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, n- not a bad idea either. But let's read on with this. Uh, in a healthy individual, oxygen saturation rates should be 98% to 100% during the day. If this is not the case, we can expect other vital markers like heart rate to be impacted over time. When your cells don't get adequate oxygen, uh, your heart has to work harder to pick up the slack. The adaptive response to less oxygen in the body is an elevated heart rate. Tachycardia? Tachycardia. Tachycardia, Tachycardia yeah. is one of the earliest signs of cardiovascular stress, and eventually this can and will impact blood pressure. If your heart rate is chronically elevated because of poor oxygenation, the blood vessels and the resistance to stretch will negatively be impacted over time as well. So one of the easiest ways to keep your heart healthy and not overworked is to make sure you are well oxygenated. This is especially important as evening approaches because our oxygen saturation normally drops by 4 to 5% after dark. Assuming you are at 98% during the day, you can be as low as 93% come evening. Those with oxygenation levels of less than 98% during the day will also have proportionately less oxygen at night. Again, this is concerning because as oxygen saturation goes down, heart rate increases. The heart works harder, and over time, this can lead to uh, hypoxia, uh, a pathological decrease in oxygen to the body. In the brain, it can lead to cognitive impairment, cognitive decline, and even stroke. You always want your brain to have adequate amounts of oxygen. What you do during the day allows you to get through the night. In otherwise healthy individuals, here are a few way, a few more easy ways to improve oxygenation overnight. One is quit smoking. If you haven't already, this is a physical crime against your body. Sure, of course. Uh, two, brisk walks daily for 30 minutes. Bonus points for walks in the evening after dinner. Okay, uh, I'm down for that. Daily focused breath work. Uh, don't sleep on your back with a pillow flexing your head forward. Uh, she has a great article about why sleeping on your stomach with your head turned to the side is the ideal sleep position. Oh, and, I agree And it's with that. all about the, the oxygenation because she says that position prevents snoring, sleep apnea, and it makes you, and it counteracts the forward flexion of the spine that we usually do all day. Yeah. And she's a chiropractor. So, yeah, 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 right. Know, she knows about spines. Sure. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that. I generally sleep on my stomach with my head turned or I sleep on my side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not really a back it's comfortable to sleep on my back Mm -hmm. and like with my arms kind of outstretched overhead. Like that's, that's what I feel like is generally my most comfortable way of sleeping. But, um, yeah, I, I usually like to I'm giggling sleep because I can picture you sleeping like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you should know you're doing that every night. But, yeah. uh, but I like it when we both turn onto our front and then we touch like our feet together. Yeah, or hold nice. hands or something. Yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. Sweet. Yeah, get in a good cuddle. <laughs> um, 
So, yes. okay, and the last one there is add, pla add plants like snake plants or aloe vera to your bedroom. These plants typically absorb carbon dioxide overnight and release oxygen into the bedroom air. Now, mm. some of the rooms in this house, Stephanie, in your house... Are full of plants. Full of plants, yeah. including one of the bedrooms. Uh, so, I don't know, what do you think? Should we add some into ours? Well, that's tough because I've thought about that. Yes, uh, plants do release oxygen, uh -huh. which makes the air better quality, but um, they need light. Yes. And I like to keep, during the night, the bedroom needs to be cold and dark. And yes. it helps if you can just kind of leave it that way oh, during the day. leave it like a cave. Yeah, leave it like yeah, a cave. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so I don't know about keeping plants in there because they might not get the light that they need. No, fair enough. Fair enough. That's a, I think that's a fair, you know, uh, uh, de not debunking, but alternative mm -hmm. um, for that. So, but I mean, any thoughts on the whole oxygenation thing? I mean, it sounds pretty straightforward. I'm realizing how important it is because a lot of people have like subclinical kind of almost sleep apnea, mm -hmm. not really sleep apnea because they're not waking up enough times during the night to meet the criteria for it or their oxygen saturation isn't falling to below a certain level. Right. But they are still experiencing interruptions to their breathing during the night that they're not aware of consciously uh -huh. but that are keeping them from getting into a deep sleep and the result on on their health is really devastating because it fucks with your blood sugar it makes you more likely to become diabetic and gain weight and become overweight and obese and it, it increases the likelihood for all kinds of other health problems and a lot of people don't even realize they have it right so you got to be really careful about sleep apnea and um what she's saying is almost like everybody's oxygen saturation drops a little bit during the night. But if you have any problems like a, like a kind of a blocked airway because of whatever allergies, deviated septum, or because you're snoring or because you have a lot of neck tissue or whatever, yeah. um, it could make that worse and drive it into sleep apnea territory. Yeah. But she's saying that everybody drops their oxygenation at night. So anything that you can do to get that up and not make it drop so low is, is going to be probably beneficial. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, let's move on to number seven, uh, which is protect your bedroom. Here's a quote from Vera Wang. Uh, my bedroom is my sanctuary. It's like a refuge. And it's where I do a fair amount of designing, at least conceptually. Uh, and we'll read on here. You should protect your sleeping space the way you protect other valuables in your life. A few suggestions. One, dim the lights in the evening and reduce your exposure to devices in the hours preceding bedtime. Two, reduce the temperature somewhere between 60 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit. That's interesting. Uh, three, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, three, sleep with breathable clothing or better yet, buck naked. Check. I do that often. Sleep enough. naked in sixty degrees. Fuck that's yeah. That's hard. <laughs> oh, no, I'm I'm game. I'm game. Anyway, um, let's see. The next one is charge your phone in your kitchen or anywhere that's not your bedroom. I'm terrible about that. I do that. I want you to yeah. do it too because there. there's no point in me charging my phone outside the room if you don't. I'll get it's there. Still, yeah. I'll get there. Uh, remove all electronics from your bedroom, including the TV on the wall. Now, that's something, I mean, other than where I will have, like, you know, I'll charge my smartphone kind of, you know, near the bed or something. Um, our bedroom's empty. And I set that up by design to where, like, I didn't want anything in there. and Because I, I agree with the statement overall that you want to protect your bedroom with everything you've got. Yeah. Bedroom um, is for sleeping and fucking. Right. I mean, I, I, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, you know, you don't need anything in the way of that, you know. Uh, and as empty, I think, as a bedroom can be, the better. Minus, of course, you know, furniture or something. Uh, and, you know, maybe you need furniture for 
doing certain kinds of things. That's all fine and dandy. Okay. But bottom line, like nothing on the walls, no distractions, you know, you fall asleep in the, you know, the, at the emptiness of the night and, you know, and in the, the, the processing of your own thoughts, much like this was talking about. So I think that that's pretty important to, to do that. I agree with protecting the bed, you know, and, and it's important to consider, in fact, actually, I think it was the CEO of Samsung that said this, and I think it's a brilliant point to bring up is that creativity doesn't happen while you're looking at the screen. And he's so right. Like the thoughts come to you when you're not actually like, say you're writing. It's not when you're actually writing. It's when you're looking away from the screen or when you're, you know, just like, I don't know, sitting outside or doing something like that. That's when your ideas come to you. Yeah. You have to give your brain space to fill in the blanks. And in order to do that, it has to have blanks to fill in. Precisely. So if you can, if you have a space where, you know, you're not, again, there's not a TV on and all this other stuff. I mean, I, I really think that can be very helpful and certainly can help you fall asleep. So I, I think that's brilliant. And of course they talked about how to effectively make it like a cave and sleeping naked. Fuck. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, you want to go on to the next one sure. or do you have any points? No, that's, I right support on? that. We'll okay. have to try that whole sleeping naked in the 60 degrees. Cause <laughs> well, I mean, you're still in, I don't the, know, in the winter. Yeah, it's, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Anyway, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have any problem with it, but okay. Number eight, boatloads of sex and orgasms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> All right. Crank the show up. Here we go. She's, <laughs> so, yeah, she's a big proponent of sex. My kind of lady. Yeah. Absolutely. Follow uh, her own medium. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Stephanie. And uh, also she's quoting Marquis de Sade here. <laughs> <laughs> so let's read the quote. Sex is as important as eating or drinking, and we ought to allow the one appetite to be satisfied with as little restraint or false modesty as the other. Fuck yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I know this promise was Marquis de Sade, but it's a great point. That letter. What? what you're giving faces. What do you got? <laughs> There's problems with Marquis de Sade. Yeah, you think? Well, hey, anyway. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I agree that, yeah, sex is absolutely as important. Well, okay, if you're asexual, I guess it's not. But otherwise... Yes, this is a very important thing. It is a hunger, a part of health that I don't think gets satisfied enough by much of anyone on planet Earth. Not to the levels that I think, perhaps if we're talking about biological design, that we're designed for. I'll just call that. Uh, I'm going to read uh, what she says here, and this is the end of the article. Uh, the neurological and physiological benefits of sex are too important to ignore. All of our vital markers improve. Cardiac output decreases. Heart rate and blood pressure drop. Breathing rate slows. It even aids in digestion. Not to mention the increased likelihood of intimacy, bonding, and connection with your partner. Your serotonin and dopamine levels are guaranteed to skyrocket. So take it from a doctor. There's no better way to start your sleep than with an orgasm. Woo! Now, I want to have a conversation around this. Okay. okay. I really do, because there's a lot to say here, I think. Well, I mean, first off, what are your thoughts on that, Stephanie? How do you feel about this? I mean, I I think it's great. It's it's not as easy to say that. Like, yeah, there's a lot that goes into being able to just have sex every night. Yeah, you that's know, a whole especially top list with in itself. a partner. Right. You know, yes, you can masturbate every night if you want. That would be great, right? If you sure. don't have a partner or something like that. But what if you're single and you're looking for a partner? Right. What if you have hangups about masturbation? Right. What if you have hangups about partner sex? Yeah. What if you're uh, experiencing illnesses or injuries that affect your ability to have sex the way that you've learned to? Yeah. What if your desire is flagging for some reason? Yeah. What if you're having a fight with your partner? 
Yeah. And you don't want to have sex. What if you've just had kids? Sure. You know, there's a lot of things that can get in the way of it. And I, so I appreciate what she's trying to do, but um, there can be a lot, there can be some roadblocks to just, it's not always as simple as, oh, just have sex all the time. You yeah, know? right, right. Yeah, no, understood. And I mean, and I'll admit, like, sex at night, not always the best thing for me. Yeah. Like, you I prefer am, to do it in the day. <laughs> yeah, I am totally a midday kind of guy. Yeah. Not even early morning. I mean, I can, you know, and I mean, multiple times a day, I can. Like, that's, and, and do I want to? Sure. Like, I mean, that's no, like, really sure. Uh, that's no problem. But I'm saying that the best sex, in my opinion, is always midday. Now, there's the importance of setting up your night by, you know, doing your day right. And so certainly I think it's just as valid if you want to. If you're if you're only really able to do it once a day, then, yeah, make it midday maybe. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons that people have a lack of a sex life in a relationship outside of any of the, like, the circumstances that you described, Stephanie, I think it's actually because they're not having sex. They're They're expecting to do it at the end of the night when they're fucking exhausted. Or they're going to do it in the morning when they're not, you know, ready to go, not caffeinated or whatever the hell's going on for them because they become a slave species to coffee. I'm just as bad. Okay. It's because a lot of people don't have the time the way that our society set up to have yeah. sex in the middle of the day when it's the best fucking time to do it. You know, the sun's out. You can they see don't have each time other. Anytime. No, right. They don't have any time to do it, you know? Yeah. And so I think, I mean, I would, that's what I would kind of put an addendum to this is that I think having sex in the middle of the day is a damn fine and wonderful thing do it before dinner you know uh, i mean then that's that's what i mean by middle of the day really is any time before dinner um and and you know let it rock let it happen and if you, you feel like doing it again at the end of the night okay awesome you know i mean this is also why i think a lot of people get used to sex that only lasts like five minutes because you're just too tired you know you're not you're not ready to go for an hour at the end of the night you know or however long you want to go i mean it, it it's subjective it varies by person mm-hmm but I think this is a really huge deal. So I, I, I also appreciate what she's saying. But at the same time, like sex before bed is not always the best. Mm-hmm. And you're not always ready for that. Though maybe if you st- if it's part of your wind down process, maybe you do still have some energy. Yeah. If- I mean, there's something I like about that. You know, just being able to have sex and then collapse in the bed and go fall asleep. Oh, sure. Uh, I think it's wonderful. <laughs> there's something yeah. powerful after you have an orgasm where you just have the urge to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, especially for male bodies, I guess, you know, the physiology of that. Yeah, supposedly. even though I'm not one of those kinds of guys. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go again if, generally, like if, um, you know, like I don't fall asleep after I come, is mm-hmm. my point. Yeah, no, you don't. Yeah. You don't. So, but you could if you wanted to. Could. I mean, there's yeah, nothing could. wrong with that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, but could. Yeah. What do you got? I like to I like to have sex like at all different times of the day. Um, I yeah. don't. I guess I don't really have a favorite, but I do like the bedtime. You know, right before sleep. But it's a challenge because sometimes it's like you're crawling into bed and it's already past the time when you wanted to be asleep. You right. know, and so it's like, oh god, like you're thinking about all the stress from the day, and it's like sex is the last thing on your mind sometimes. Yeah, no, it's it's very true uh, that that it can be, and and again, you're you know you're exhausted, so I don't know. Maybe the best thing to do is go for the walk. And while you're out on the walk, stoop in the woods and then come back. I don't know. <laughs> I love the look on your face. I think it's I think it's ridiculous to suggest that. <laughs> I, like, I I do that with some tongue in cheek. Okay. I hope it's tongue in cheek. Yeah. <laughs> there's all kinds of problems with having sex in the woods. Oh, absolutely. Yes. No, what do you got? Go, go. 
Go for it. There's tons of problems with it. Uh-huh. Like, okay, first of all, that you could be doing it where someone could see you. Yes, of course. Um, yeah. Second of all, that, like, dirt and shit can get in your body parts that you don't want it to get in. That can be a very real problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and yes, this is where unrealistic expectations come in. Just like everybody thinks that sex on the beach is really romantic and all that. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's, you know, it's sand all over you. That's yeah, what it is. Yeah, but what do you think and, the woods is? It's like well, leaves it and can sticks be the very all same over thing. you and ticks yeah, biting no, you in the crotch. I think it's a totally valid <laughs> thing to bring up. I think it's totally important, to, you know, to discuss and sure. So, But yeah. I mean, I will say it's nice to do it in the woods, you know, in a tent, but not like up against a rock or something. Yeah, not up against a rock. Good call. So, all right. Well, speaking of that, I think that's something that's a lot of people's fantasy. Um, and before we talk about some sexual fantasies, because that's going to be our next story, we got about 30 minutes left to this whole rocker. So um, before we do that, I do want to let people know, if you want to read about some sexy, you can actually pick up my new book. Yes. The Sovereign Universe Volume 1. And this is all, if you've heard all this moaning and other things happening during the during episodes of Sovereign Tech in the past, or you've heard some fictional episodes of Sovereign Tech like Soviet Tech 1 and 2 and Sovereign Tech 2099 and all that, you want to check out the short stories that exist within that very same universe. And that is the Sovereign Universe Volume 1. It's available on Amazon right now. There's a link in the show notes for it. Uh, they'll take you right to it, or you can just type in my name and it'll come up along with my other books, um, you know, on Amazon and you can get it as an ebook. It's only two ninety nine. And Stephanie, you did, uh, the forward, you wrote I the forward. Did. I wrote the forward. You're right on the covers. This is forward by Dr. Stephanie Murphy for the Sovereign Universe Volume 1. And you can read my forward in the boss's office in the Sovereign Tech Newsletter, just like you can read a lot of the content from the book in the Sovereign Tech Newsletter. Yes. However, if you want it all in one convenient place on your Kindle or whatever, and if you want access to the exclusive content that is exclusive in the book, exclusive stories only and in the book, there yes. is exclusive content. And they're long. You're going to have to pick up, you're going to have to shell out the two ninety nine, and That's you're right. going to have to pick up a copy. I know it's so hard, but you're going to have to do it. Uh, you know, it's well worth it. Yeah, we well did, worth it. We recently did an episode uh, of kind of like your own little show called The Boss's yeah. Office, where you interviewed me about writing the book and everything. A question we and we made it short. It was only like twenty minutes, you know, so we didn't get to everything we wanted to talk about with the book. I want to ask you here quickly now, because uh, I've got you and we're talking about it. Oh, you got me. What? Ooh, yeah. What did you think of the book? I mean, like, like, or what do you think of the stories? You know, because let's be clear here. One of the characters in this is Doctor Stephanie Murphy. You know, it's a fictionalized version of you, and, and you know, there's other aspects to it, because this is science fiction, mm-hmm. and spy-fi, and erotic, okay? But, I mean, you know, how do you feel about the book? Like, I mean, and what do you, do you like the stories? Do you, you know, give me a rundown. I thought it was wonderful. I love the stories. I think they're so cute, and they're uh-huh. so sweet, and uh, the characters, it's funny at times, you know? Yes, it's-, it's meant to be, like, these are not, like, super serious you know, stories in that way. Yeah, sure. And, you know, I mean, you, you disclaim it <laughs> quite often. You yes. say, don't take it too seriously. Right. But, uh, yeah, I thought the stories were very entertaining, especially, I, I especially like the longer stories, like, uh, like a, a night to remember or whatever. The oh, last a one. night in Unimatrix Zero. A night in Unimatrix Zero. K-N-I-G-H-T. Yep. I like that one. Um, I like it when you kind of continue a storyline over across several different stories. Mm-hmm. And of course the characters, you know, reappear and are consistent. And um, I like how you do the dialogue, like you make the characters, you you differentiate the characters from each other. Sure. Um, 
it's just really, really cool. I, I'd love to see a movie. Um, we're, we're talking about an audiobook being yes, in the works. Yes, there's going to be an audiobook There's been audio it. theater that's been based off of this stuff. Yes. So, um, yeah, it really is like being inside Brian's little fantasy world <laughs> in his head. And uh, if you dare to go there, it's a very fun place. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I'll say this quick about Sovereign Tech in general. And I appreciate everything you just said. And thank you. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And I, I readily admit that, like, I really want women to enjoy what I'm writing. Like, that is very important to me. And I've talked about that on many episodes. Guys can dig it, too, I hope, because I hope guys are into what women are into you know, sexually and erotically and all that. Um, but yeah, I with Sovereign Tech overall, you know, the, this show, the very serious show, or I mean, it's fun, but, you know, the, the nonfiction show and everything that I do around that, like, I mean, yeah, it's me very much creating my own little world. And I talk about that in the introduction to the book that, I, you know, I'm, I'm creating my own little fantasy land in, in a very real sense. And it's so much fun that people want to go along on, on the ride with me you know, with that. I mean, it's just, it's really, I'm honored. Uh, it's really vindicating and keeps me from feeling alone in the mm. world. So I'm glad people are along for the ride, but anyway, yeah, link is in the show notes for that. You cannot miss it. Like I put it in bold where it says, you know, buy Brian Sovereign's new book, Sovereign Universe volume one. And uh, I guarantee you a good time. Uh, not, you're not going to get your money back because Amazon handles all that, but I do guarantee you're, uh, you know, I, I really, you're going to have a good time with it at some point. Cause there's something for everyone in it. So, all right, while we're talking about fantasy lands and fantasy worlds, got a story here from Psychology Today, which I was originally going to do. I actually had it set up for a wild card segment that I was just going to talk about it. Um, but then I was like, no, you know, this would be a good fit for a relationship rhombus. But then we've done relationship rhombus. And, you know, why hold on to the story for that much longer? Why not just fucking talk about it now? Um, so and since we're already talking about sex, here we go uh, again from Psychology Today by uh, David, Dr. David Lay, L-E-Y. So <laughs> interesting name. Uh, the title of it is Sick, Seek, uh, Sick, Secret Sexual Fantasies. And the, the underscore is sometimes a mind fuck is better than the other kind. Hmm. So, yeah. How about that? Why um, are they sick? I don't know. Well, this is from 2010, so this is a little bit of an older story, but I think it's interesting. Okay. So let's read it here. I wrote in my last blog about the large numbers of people who have sexual fantasies about someone other than their spouse. This topic taps into something I feel passionate <laughs> about. Uh, that's he put in the ahem, by the way. Uh, <laughs> what should psychology be doing uh, with or what should psychology be doing with sexual fantasies? Should we worry about them or, or ignore them? Currently, most psychologists approach sexual fantasy as something potentially dangerous that should be used like alcohol sparingly and carefully. Quote, sexual fantasizing can be healthy, particularly for a reasonably healthy couple that uses their increased excitement to move toward rather than away from the partner, end quote. And that's from Patrick Carnes. Hmm. So fantasy is only allowable or healthy if you're doing it with a partner with the intent of coming closer together. And then only if you and your partner are reasonably healthy, whatever that is. This is sure to be surprising news to the large number of people who report frequently having sexual uh, secret fantasies about other people during sex with their spouse or partner. Um, so I want to stop there for a second. And if you want me to edit this part, I can. Uh, do you have are you willing to admit whether or not you have sexual fantasies about other people? While you're having, while you've had sex with other people, like, do you get, do you get what I'm asking? I have in the past, but very rarely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually when I'm having sex with someone, I am completely focused on Concentrated on, them. on that person. 
when I'm masturbating or when I'm alone, um, I do have certain fantasies, but they're usually not about people that I know right. or people that I want to fuck. Right. They're usually just, they're a little different. There's imaginary characters it's a fit. in there. Somehow yeah. it kind of works. Yeah. 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 Uh, same exact answer for me on, on, on all counts. Uh, same exact. So anyway, okay. Well, there we go. That's so interesting that we're so closely aligned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm really like, especially with sex. Like I'm, I, I've got to be mentally like all in, you know, otherwise I'm drifting off to who knows where, but mm-hmm. anyway, so, uh, we'll read on here. I mean, unless we're like role-playing, then that's different, you know? Yeah, that's, I, yeah, I think that's kind of a different case. Yeah. But then you're really like all of your mental acumen is being, you know, concentrated on, you know, the fantasy world. Yeah. Right. The I character. Mean, yes. Yeah, exactly. So that's that you're still really present with the person there, you know, in, in that sense. Um, well, you know, let me ask you this. Have you ever, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little twist on this okay. again. Again, I can edit it. You know, I don't want people, look, I, I, and I leave in when I say that I, when I ask co-hosts, you know, I'll edit this out if you want. I leave it in because I want people to know I am not catching you. Like, I don't want to catch you off guard while you're behind the mic and like act like I'm forcing you to have to respond to this. And you're worried that the show is going to crash or something. Mm-hmm. I ask about whether or not I can edit it to be respectful or, you know, if you want me to edit it, to be respectful that you don't have to answer this question and it can get removed. And if you want to take time to think about it or something like that, that's why I leave in when I say I want people to know that you're not being like put on the spot yeah or something so i appreciate that thank you and i also have to take some responsibility for not answering a question if i don't want to talk about it so oh, sure yeah. absolutely yeah, i have yeah. to have boundaries too yeah right on and of course anyone can always say no with me for sure uh so anyway but here's the twist that i want to put on it have you ever while having sex with someone imagined someone else was there in addition to the person you're stooping mm. hmm Thinking, uh, thinking. Can't say I have. No, no, I don't think so. I've done it in the past. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just curious. Mm-hmm. So we can move on. So from you that. imagine a twosome being a threesome or moresome? Yeah, I've done that before. <laughs> you know, uh, sure. You know, I mean, at, at times. I, I mean, guess it's, maybe I've pictured that a few times, but it's not something that occurs very frequently for me. Yeah, sure. Right. Same. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move on here. So we simply don't know enough about sexual fantasies and their connections to personality, behavior, and sexuality to make any such judgments. For decades, psychologists suggested the the Freudian notion that there is a central masturbation fantasy, a recurring fantasy which revealed aspects of one's personality. One of my supervisors believed this and told me that I should know by the third session with a client what their masturbation fantasy was. It took me a long time to realize that I wasn't supposed to ask my poor clients about their masturbatory fantasies, but should be able to predict the elements of the fantasy based upon what I knew of the person's personality and psychological functioning. So a person who craves attention might repetitively fantasize about the center attraction at an uh, yeah, fantasize about the center attraction at an orgy, whereas another who has deep-seated feelings of shame and self-loathing might fantasize about being sexually punished and humiliated. An important piece of this is that the fantasies are consistent with a person's ego and personality state and are not self-medicational. We might think that it would be nice and better if that person with self-loathing thought about fantasies of being loved and appreciated, but the key trigger for arousal in these sexual fantasies is not what might help the person, but what in the, fa- in the fantasy resonates like a tuning fork with the existing elements of the person's personality. It's a great theory and intuitively feels valid. 
I've seen many clients over the years that seem that seems to reflect it. But like much of the psychodynamic and Freudian theory, it is not very testable and not supported by research. We simply don't know enough about people's masturb masturbation fantasies in comparison to their personality and individual psychology. Do disturbed, conflicted, problematic fantasies really reflect deep-seated psychological disturbance? The building evidence suggests that they do not. So I want to break in here for a second. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that that can, that can be treated like there's a whole problem with that kind of Freudian concept of a central masturbation uh, fantasy. fantasy. Yeah. And the big problem is, is that, you know, what, and, and just, just to show, it also shows how people don't often handle data correctly about anything, but certainly sexuality. A lot of guys, especially MRAs, like to say, well, but 70% of women have rape fantasies, you know, and it's like, okay, stop the, you know, just, just stop the train right there. Right. Where is that going? What are you trying to say with that? That women want to be raped? Yeah, well, that's exactly what they're saying, that they yeah. want to be controlled. Here's the problem with that. Keyword control. It's not really a rape fantasy because it's a fantasy they are creating in their head. They ultimately have control. Mm -hmm. Okay. It is a scenario that it's a scenario, you know, a fantastical or a fantasy scenario that's going on, but they're not getting raped. That does not mean they want to get raped. It means that they're setting up some kind of, again, just a sexual scenario in their head. That I think whole that, idea is bullshit that yeah. women fantasize or that women want to be raped because they, they fantasize about rape. No, it's not really rape because they're in control. <laughs> exactly. No, they, they want to be... When women are having so-called rape fantasies, right. I think what they're really fantasizing about is being desired by a man so much yes. that the man cannot control himself. Exactly. And that she actually does like it because she's fantasizing about it. She's choosing it. She's choosing to right. think about it. Right. right. So saying that somebody's self-loathing and so they have a master, uh, masturbation fantasy about being humiliated or something like that. No, they're in control. They're in control the whole time. That that fantasy isn't being mentally forced on them by some psionic force or something. I mean, I mean that's so that whole I toss that right out the fucking door, you know. And that's one of the powerful things about this, or, or one of the things I liked about this article was they're saying, you know, get rid of all that. Like, like we and and just to even bring up, we don't understand how fantasies work, and we just don't, and we come to horrendous conclusions like we were just describing. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to look far on the internet to find people that believe that, even people that wouldn't be MRAs that talk about that sort of uh, bullshit. Mm -hmm. So do you have anything else you want to say on that, or I was going to keep reading? No, go ahead. Okay. Dan Savage, columnist, uh, which of course, you know, we all know Dan Savage. One of my favorite podcasts. Yep. Uh, yeah, Savage Love. Savage Love cast, right? Uh, ran an article describing the sad story of a husband writing to ask help for his concerns about his wife's sexual fantasy and role play during sex his wife asked him to pretend to her to be her father and to pretend to molest her Ooh. the husband was worried this might be based on a true event in his wife's past and what was he supposed to do how could he help his wife was this normal or healthy no psychologist but with a uh, no psychologist but with a wealth of experiencing experience viewing the sexual fantasies and behaviors people often don't even share with their psychologists savage suggested that the husband had a right to ask his wife about the origins of the pretty creepy and disturbing fantasy but he also pointed out that this fantasy might be a way in which the wife uh, was reestablishing control over her sexuality and recovering from a history of trauma I like this point. Let's flip the issue on its head. The fantasy is not a symptom of an illness, but is instead an adaptive effort to overcome a history of trauma and reassume control of one's mind and life. 
In Brett Kerr's mm. book, who's a lot been... of people say that about BDSM that they are healing from trauma because they're in control of the scene or they have a way to experience similar things to what they've experienced in the past, but be be in control of them in a different way. Sure. Uh, there's a big, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. There's a big conversation that, we, that could be had around that that we might get into. Um, let me read on here. Uh, in Brett Kerr's book, Who's Been Sleeping in Your Head? The Secret World of Sexual Fantasies, Carr, a British psych, uh, psychotherapist, explores the same controversy. 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 <laughs> His work, based on extensive it's a research, long day, folks. <laughs> has been a long one. Uh, with, uh, yeah, his work, based on extensive research with a non clinical population, shows the surprising range of disturbing, frightening, and challenging fantasies that exist in the heads of people that are living healthy, successful lives. One of the most surprising was the tale of an older Jewish woman whose parents had died in the Holocaust. And yet, this grandmotherly woman revealed that her most powerful orgasms came to fantasies of her being sexually examined and abused by Nazis while strapped nude to a surgical table. I'm going to break in for a second. Uh, so I'm ethnically Jewish and I am not, I have heard a lot of my people mm-hmm. say this sort of thing, you know, that, 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 that they have that. So I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to, well, I mean, of course I judge in my head. I'm not going to judge on the show here and I'm not necessarily going to get into that, but let's read on. I cringe pretty hard when i heard that yeah That's yeah really cringy right yeah. so reading on Carr argues that the fantasies he saw in the most disturbed people tended to be fantasies that were extremely simplistic and two-dimensional he saw no relationship in his research on sexual fantasies between disturbing and complex fantastic sexual fantasies and any level of mental disturbance the ability to fantasize to daydream to explore internal worlds of imagination is a valuable even critical component of the human mind it reflects our ability to manipulate thoughts ideas perceptions and reality all within the private confines of our own minds brett carr suggests that without fantasies our minds would be sterile bleak places he views sexual fantasies as inherent extensions of our capacity for creativity the very imaginal creativity that is present in the worlds of artists painters and composers uh i'll break in for a second on that the classic book by nancy friday uh Mm, was it secret Secret Garden? garden or something her opening chapter or her introduction for that says that or her claim is is that sex is literally the the seed uh no pun intended of all creativity Mm. like that that's where everything springs out from and i think it's a very power and that book explores some what would be considered very disturbing sexual fantasies that women have and they're all anonymous came out in the 70s i mean this is a wildly popular book because nobody had ever talked about this shit before Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of books like this in the 70s that were really controversial because people were finally had the guts or you know the temerity and the i guess maybe the the community around them to where they could feel comfortable to talk about it i'm not shaming people that didn't have the guts you know say to to put this stuff out there Mm -hmm. okay it's just the time was right and then fortunately the ability was there um so, yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting point. And I certainly buy into that. I, I mean, my creativity, I would argue for myself, totally comes from my sex drive. Yeah. It's funny that you're reading this right after we talked about the book, because, yeah, yeah that's your book is an example of that. Yeah. Everything springs from that. In fact, uh, we were talking with a friend um, a couple weeks ago. We were having dinner and we and I said to her that, you know, like she asked me, he's like, she said, Brian, you're, you're tasting movies. Very weird. Very weird. I don't know if I agree with your taste in movies. You know, that's that's what she was saying to me. Okay. And because I've sent her I've sent her movies and whatever, you know, when when she's asked for them. So you, you know, you know a friend we were talking about. 
that we were having dinner Actually, with. No, I don't. Okay, well, we were having dinner. Uh, there was there was a nice river nearby. You know, nice look uh, of a city. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. Okay. okay. So anyway, so we were having that, and um, and I, you know, and I said, I was like, well, here's the thing. It's like a lot of those movies in my head, I just add in the sex scenes that aren't there, and then the movie becomes fucking amazing. It becomes great. You know, <laughs> like, so, so it's, I mean, it's that big of a deal for me is kind of my, my point in bringing that up. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so all that set aside, yeah, creativity, I think, is and sex are, can be anyway, can be, conjoined, you know, joined. Yes. Uh, yeah. Related, I mean, like, yeah. Yeah. They're Thanks. very related. So, all right. So anyway, talking about that, about the creativity and sex, what does it mean that some of our own fantasies and thoughts frighten us, disturb us? We simply don't know. Do people who have these thoughts and fantasies ultimately act upon them? Do these fantasies become burning desires that must be satiated? Do they take over a person's mind and life such that eventually fulfilling the fantasy becomes the most important thing in a person's life? Hmm. We just don't know. Yeah. I frankly or I frankly suspect not. Elsewise, from reading the research by Carr, Nancy Friday, Seymour Fisher, and others, works that reveal the large level of socially unacceptable and often frightening and disturbing fantasies that live inside the heads of the normal people around us, there would be extraordinary amounts of infidelity, incest, bestiality, group sex, homosexuality, and other behaviors going on every day amongst almost everyone in society, as opposed to the relatively <laughs> low actual frequency of these behaviors. Right? <laughs> I've received several thoughtful comments from folks who suggested that lumping homosexuality in with these other desires was pejorative. It's not. I'm speaking about frequency, but I can see the value in the comment. It's not my intent to pathologize or stigmatize the these same fantasies. Thing. Yeah, um, I'm just saying, yeah, so he brings that up. I'm but, just, but he's totally right that there are lots of people especially men, yeah. well, women too, who sure. fantasize about uh, same-sex sexual encounters, yes. but, but never do it. Yeah, never act on it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so reading on, fear of rejection and stigma leads people to keep these fantasies secret from everyone, often their, even their wives, husbands, and therapists. Friday has described that she has received numerous letters from people, all saying that they believe they were the only ones with such fantasies and that her works have led them to accept that they are not as sick or disturbed as they secretly feared. Seymour Fisher's 1973 work on the female orgasm also asserted that there was no relationship between any types of sexual fantasies and life characteristics, including health, sickness, education, or life success. In fact, Carr, who as part of his research examined over 23,000 sexual fantasies, what a job, I clearly chose the wrong topic for my dissertation, suggests that (laughs) on the basis of the data, I must conclude that the minds of American and British citizens contain much diversity and complexity, and therefore, speaking about a normal fantasy may well be meaningless. He goes on to describe the ways in which fantasies are contained within one's mind and do not command they be enacted in reality. He offers examples of the frightening, violent, dangerous, and disturbing fantasies he has heard from doctors, therapists, priests, and nurses fantasizing about what they'd like to do to or with their patients. But these fantasies were never enacted and probably never would be for the overwhelming majority of healthcare professionals. Um, there's just a little bit more here. The fantasy of the threesome with two women is regarded as ubiquitous among men, with some prevalence rates as high as 85% of males acknowledging a fantasy about such an event. I'll add myself to the 85%. Uh, it is so common a fantasy that uh, common a fantasy that no one regards it as strange, but simply sees it as normal. But how many how many men actually have such sexual experiences? Fewer than six percent. Hmm. Do your sexual fantasies mean anything? 
You know, I, I mean, so in fact, there are many people who report that when they have attempted to fulfill a fantasy, they end up disappointed by the mundane reality of real world sex with real world people. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes it's so much better in your mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's kind of the old tagline or the old uh, saying of it's better to want than to have. Mm. Um, so well, anyway, uh, in the real world, one can manipulate or in the real world, one cannot manipulate reality to create large, ever-responsive penises and cannot provide an endless wardrobe of costumes. In the real world, one must deal with the pesky realities of other people's needs and feelings, must deal with the issues of our bodies and their biological and physical capacities. Carr quotes a patient saying, sometimes I'm, uh, sometimes a mind fuck is better than the other kind. Ah, that's what they meant. Yeah. Interesting. I, right. I believe that the fear of sexual fantasies reflects a fear of our inability to fully control even our own minds and thoughts. How can it be that we can have thoughts pop into our minds, that we can have fantasies that trigger enormous sexual arousal at the same time that they trigger shudders of revulsion? It is a scary thought that we live or it is a scary thought that we live inside our own minds and cannot even control them. Reaction to this fear derives the belief or drives the belief that we must suppress and avoid these fantasies. Instead, perhaps it is as Brett Carr suggests that our private sexual fantasies kept secret serve a role of maintaining a sense of control over the uncontrollable aspects of our lives and minds. Quote, perhaps we all do need to have some arena of absolute privacy or secrecy in order to feel more fully in control of our own mind. End mm. quote. Uh, beautifully said, I think, yeah, uh, and a great point to bring up privacy in general. The importance of privacy is certainly something that could, you know, gets talked about all the time and is a major theme of sovereign tech. But, you know, to have it in your own mind, I'm reminded of the Kim Stanley Robinson quote where uh, he says, you know, where he's talking about and it's out of a fictional novel, but he's talking about how, you know, you have a bubble universe under that cranium of yours. And that's why I get so annoyed with this idea that we're all connected, man. If we are all connected, man, disconnect me now, because there are things I need that privacy of what I think of in my own mind to not only that doesn't mean I'm going to keep it in my head, but to have the space where I can allow that, shall we say, that flower to grow mm -hmm. into its you know full, beautiful bloom when I want to reveal it to you or to the world. Uh, you need that. You've got to have that place where you can work this shit out in your head, in your own head. And if it's sexual fantasies, it's sexual fantasies. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe the most important to bring up within all of this is that you really do, like, I mean, I guess you could say you don't have control of when you think about the fantasies or, or something, but you really do have control of the fantasies. You can choose whether or not the person is wearing pink or black or what, you know? And I mean, there's lots of things that you can control with this. And that ultimately means that I, I don't think it's as disturbing as people want mm -hmm. to claim. Um, I, you can't really control what you like, though. Well, that's true. And you can't really control that those thoughts come up. You know what I mean? Tell me more. You can you can customize a fantasy. Yeah. Like you said, with pink or black or with yeah, the yeah, way yeah. the person looks or yeah. slight variations. But you can't really help what turns you on at a primal level. What kinds of situations and scripts turn you on? Sure. By the time you get to be an adult, like there's just that's hardwired, you know? Yeah, some of it is. I mean, I think you can reset to some degree your preferences, your sexual preferences, like how your body responds to certain stimuli. OK, I'm not saying that if you're gay that you can reset that. No, I am saying that, like, if you get used to jerking off so much that you can't come from normal P or that you can't come from PIV, oh, the death grip. Yeah. yeah. You, you can reset that. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's parts of your sexuality. Well, that's, yeah, that, yeah. Neurologically you can train your body to, you know, to 
lower the threshold for orgasming in different ways and stuff like Precisely. that. Precisely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But you some can't control the thoughts that turn that give you a boner. Yeah, maybe not exactly. Sure, sure. I can see that. Um, but then, you know, what is that? And that's, the, I mean, it's okay, I think, to even walk away from this mm-hmm. with what Dr. Lay was saying, is that we just don't understand this stuff. We don't know enough. And in fact, no fantasy may be abnormal. Every fantasy it might be so perfectly normal because everybody's kind of experiencing it or everybody or at least enough people have had some kind of, you know, freak show in their head. OK, and I say that I say freak show, not in a, in a pejorative at all mm-hmm. um, that, you know, why call anything abnormal as far mm-hmm. as sexual fantasies go? Now, I mean, what I you think actually, that people have a lot of dark fantasies Fuck yes. that no, they don't tell anybody about. Yeah, absolutely. As evidenced by the Nancy Friday book and as evidenced by just like <laughs> when when people do get bold and admit yeah. them like the shit that comes out of their mouth, like, holy shit, Absolutely. I can't believe you're thinking about Nazis, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. But then but then that's the thing, too, is that I think when you have these fantasies, that doesn't mean you want to act them out. Like right. That, yeah, that doesn't mean you want to act. A lot of people know a lot of people never even try to act them out. No, because because I, they know it's better in their own mind or they know that acting them out would be harmful in some way or too impossible, you know, in some way or whatever. Right. I mean, they realize ultimately they don't have that control that they do in their mind yeah. that they do on the real world. Yeah. You, I mean, they're just not going to, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the thing is, I mean, that's one of the real centers with this is that no matter how disturbing the sexual fantasy, that doesn't mean the person is automatically going to, you know, act these things out. Um now, you know, the BDSM thing that you brought up, okay? Now, I, I have no problem with BDSM, uh, mm-hmm. really, whatsoever. There are levels, though, to BDSM. There are degrees mm. uh, of intensity, mm-hmm. shall we say. Uh, now, I don't, I mean, I, and what I mean by that, I'm not saying, like, well, there's people who do it 24-7, who live it, and then there's people who just practice it at the end of the day. Um, I don't have problems with either of those, you know, if someone wants to walk Weekend around warriors, if you will. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if somebody wants, you know, if somebody wants to walk around with a collar on 24 seven, please go for it, you know, and, and use stuff.sexandsciencehour.com to get your collar. Yes. All right. I am all, I'm so on board with you doing that. Okay. Um, but I get worried when you get into areas like murder play and which is where you're acting out murders in a sexual scenario and everything when those are getting, I mean, obviously they're not really being done, but when they're getting acted out, I appreciate what they brought up, what Dr. Lay brought up in this about how, you know, some of these fantasies can be ways for you to get overcome traumas. I don't know what traumas are getting overcome by that. And I think that that is, I think those kind going, getting in the acting, actually acting those things out. Even if it's pretend is getting into very, I, I feel like that's dangerous territory. I don't know. What do you think about that, Stephanie? I think there's limits to this is my point. Any I, thoughts? I don't, I don't know what to think. It honestly, it's, it, it freaks me out. Yeah. It definitely freaks me out. If somebody asked me to participate in it, I would say no. Yeah. It's a hard no. Yeah. Yeah. Instantaneous. Yeah, I'm not comfortable hard, with it. Yeah. Uh, but who am I to say that that's not helping that person in some way? If they, if it's very clear that it's a fantasy, I I don't know. Yeah, that's a really challenging one. Yeah, I mean, because like the article even brings up, what is healthy, right? And right. And, and I mean, that's, what about people who are into like race play? Like I've seen postings on you know dating websites where somebody says like, I want a person to pretend to be my slave and I'm the master. Yeah, and I well, want a person of a specific race to do that. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I mean, that's the, 
yeah, like or like the Jewish and Nazi thing. That makes me really uncomfortable. See, I mean, when it's in your head, like you have control, yeah. so you're not really like turning anything over. And I suppose if you're setting up a fantasy, even in real life, that you're reenacting in some way, you still really have control. But I don't know. Murder play is like that's that's the bridge too far. That like I just I can't. What do you think? It blurs the lines between fantasy and reality, or I think murder is the single most depraved act that humanity engages in, and I think it has no business ultimately and explicitly even pretend being put on display in front of actual human eyes by other people with agency doing it in your head. It might be a little bit different, but like even just acting it out, like no, I, I, I think that that's, that is just, I think it's fucked up. And if somebody in this audience, in my audience, cause I, you know, I got a lot of freaks. I'm with you. I'm a freak too, baby. Uh, you know, out there and you're into murder play and all that, like, go ahead you could try and explain it to me but i just cannot imagine the case where where i think that acting that out is okay or and i mean acting it out even in a pretend fashion obviously killing somebody's bad but you know in a pretend fashion i just i can't get behind that mm. like there's no way that that should be there's a lot of things i can't get behind yeah i mean i mean like the jewish and nazi thing mm-hmm. like just all right, all right let me cuz i've talked to people about this okay and you can Really, if you if you take apart the specific pieces, be it the swastika or the blonde hair and blue eyes and some other things, you're really just talking about a domination fantasy that has like a lot of historical details that is easier for you to fill in and you don't have to be necessarily so creative or something. Okay, and it's something that like is more plausible because it happened. Okay, and sorry, Holocaust deniers, it happened. Oh yeah. All right, deal with it, and and please do deal with it. I want you to recognize that it happened and do something about it. Okay, because yeah. we have Nazis in the world again. So right, and never again uh, will that happen. Yeah, exactly. So, but that said, okay, within a fantasy in your head, like you're again, you deconstruct it, and it is a very simple fantasy at the end of the day, and it does not have to have the complexity of you know, a, a Jew getting tortured by a Nazi and things like that. It could, you know, just replace it with something else. What about like the one in the letter, like the daddy and the little girl or whatever? That's kind of a common one. And then that freaks that, that was me in my the garden. fuck out. Yeah, like, that was that in the secret not, garden. Not cool. Um, yeah, you got to wonder what traumas are being done there. And maybe the fantasy is a way of somehow working out or getting past it. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I'm not I am absolutely not qualified to tell somebody what's going on for them with that. Yeah. Uh, and I readily admit that. So, but yeah, I mean, I have, I don't know, I, I get, I'll admit it. I've got some pretty strange ones, you know, um, that I don't know that I'd ever really tell anybody about. Yeah, me too. Um, That's the thing. Me too. Yeah, right. I, I mean, I'll tell you, you know, one thing I think that might be, if you're concerned about it, here's something to do. We were talking earlier during that, the article about sleep your way to the top. Um, which is actually about sleeping, not stooping necessarily. <laughs> but we were talking about that and writing these things down, offloading it from your brain and having it written like in a journal or something, I think it'd be a very powerful act to it's cathartic. Uh, there is a connection between physically writing things and your brain, even more so than typing it out. Don't type it out, write it in an actual journal. And if you want to set it on fire afterwards, go ahead, light it on fire. Okay, if you never want the world to see it, if you want to make sure. But I think that might help you process that more. 
like by writing it out and giving it some, not the etherealness that it has in your brain, but some finiteness that happens on the page, you know, to, to really, you know, to get past that. So, but I think this is important. The, the overall point that I wanted to bring up here is that everybody's a freak. I think like the prevalence of this research is just through the roof. I mean, when you're doing 23,000 people, I mean, that's a huge sample size as far as science goes. Uh, you know, and they were talking about like threesomes, 85% of men, you know, I mean, like these numbers are, again, they are through the fucking roof. Just recognize we all have these fantasies and maybe none of them are abnormal, you know? And so if someone ever opens up to you and shares with you a fantasy, as long as you asked, because it can be non-consensual to be telling people your, your fantasies and your, uh, uh oh, yeah, your, definitely. what attracts you, yeah, you definitely. know, and, uh, and all your little fetishes. Okay. You really should be asking somebody, Hey, do you mind if Only I share if this with you? Only if they want to hear about it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you want to, you want to make sure that you're getting enthusiastic consent, even when you're sharing that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, you know, you expect it from me when you listen to Sovereign Tech, like it's, it's right out brazen that I am, you know, going to share fantasies and stuff. So, you know, expect that when you get it, when you listen to the show, but regardless of my, my point being in, in, in saying that, um, is let's just recognize that none of these are abnormal, maybe, you know, and that we should just accept. And when someone does share with you, maybe don't look at them with horror. Maybe you want to find out what the origin was. And if you're concerned about it, that it comes from trauma or some past life experience or something like that, uh, then sure, you know, have that empathy and care for them, but let's not be so quick to judge you know, our sexuality and our fantasies and, you know, let's, let's rock them, you know, and, and, and just, that doesn't mean go act them out. It just means let's accept that that's a part of who we are when we don't totally understand it yet. And we may never completely understand it. Just like we don't understand consciousness. We don't understand so many parts of the human condition, but let's be accepting of that and let's understand that about ourselves. So, uh, Stephanie, any thoughts you want to share on this in the end? I think you said it. Yeah, that's, that was great. Sure. Okay. So, have sex folks and, and your head or, you know, sometimes the mind fuck is better than the other one. So go for it. Go for the mind fuck. <laughs> if I had to say one thing, I would say the thing that's definitely not healthy is to feel shame about your own fantasies and to, yeah. to beat yourself up over something that you really can't control. Absolutely. As long as you're not hurting anyone. And as long as you're not letting it take over your life to the point where you're neglecting other responsibilities or whatever, or affecting somebody else negatively, then, you know, you, there's really no reason to feel ashamed of the things that you like or that turn you on. Yeah, absolutely. So there it is. Dr. Murphy, right on. So Stephanie, of course, always thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, thank you, Brian. And this is really wrap fun. This, up. this was yeah. a great show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of great stuff to talk about. Went on a lot of uh, tributaries. This river went for, went for a good run. So uh, anyway, more episodes. Of course, well, next week you'll have uh, you'll have an episode. Of course, you get an episode every week, no matter what's going on, and who knows what surprises might come up in September. And uh, of course, do become a patron if you want to support the show and get access to thousands of hours of exclusive content, as well as new content that comes out every single week. Just go to Patreon.com/slash Sovereign Tech and uh, sign up for that newsletter, baby. Zog.email. I will see all of you whoo, on the other side. You just experienced. Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love and love is not subject to law. So please share the show however you like. Welcome 
to the evolution. 